Hey everybody, Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain Radio. Hope you're doing well. Please, 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 I'm begging you on my knees, brothers and sisters, drop by freedomainradio.com slash donate to help us out. Most essential, most required, most necessary. Freedomainradio.com slash donate. I wish there wasn't a slash in there. It makes it sound so aggressive. Some great callers tonight, most of whom I really liked. The first caller was a young woman who's decided to have kids sooner rather than later. Good choice. But wants to know, can she be a mother, a wife, and have a career all at the same time? Hmm. Well, unless she's willing to invent more hours in the day, well, you'll see how that conversation went. The second caller is a woman who is stuck in a field, or is part of a field, that is pretty lefty. And she wants to know, what can she do to become a leader in this leftist environment and turn people away from the dark side of collectivism? And... Well, let's just say we dug deep to find out where the real source of the challenges were coming from in her life. The next caller. Hmm. Hmm. Well, let's just say being in possession of American citizenship seems to have raised its sexual market value quite a bit with overseas women or with an overseas woman in particular. And you'll see how that (laughs) went. And it went pretty intense. Let's get it on. All right. Well, up first today, we have Ashley. Ashley wrote in and said, I'm a 24-year-old living in a major city with a boyfriend of a year and a half. Prior to meeting him, I was largely career-oriented and assumed that I would get married and have kids later in life. Since I've learned what a great father he will be in combination with the information I've learned from yourself, Jordan Peterson, and others, I've started questioning whether or not I'm making the right decision, thinking I can have a career now and children later. I know that it is typically not possible to have a career, be a mother and wife, and do all three well, but my boyfriend believes that I will be able to do so. My question is, is it ever possible to have all three, to be a mother, wife, and have a career? That's from Ashley. Ashley, how you doing? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm well, thanks. And the answer is no. It is not possible (laughs) to be all three. But um, Mm -hmm. why does your boyfriend want you to... Does he want you to do all three? No. So I should actually start by clarifying. So I showed him the the question that I sent in after I had sent it. And he disagreed just slightly with the way that I um, worded it. So um, I asked him to rephrase it. And he basically explained that he doesn't think that I'm capable of doing all three at the same time because no one is able is capable of doing so. But he believes that um, in addition to being a great mother, I am uh, conscientious, driven, and I will be um, just capable of pursuing a career in general. And he thinks that by taking time off, um, I, we will be able to do so as a team. But why does he want you to have a career rather than be a mom? So I should also say that I, I really, truly want both. And so... I should have also noted that I believe I can do all three and he supports me in, um, in that notion. And I had listened to, um, one of your shows, I think it was about a month or so ago with a young lady who was in medical school. Um, and you oh, explained not to her so young lady. Right, okay. Not so young. Lady, <laughs> <It's exactly. very laughs> yes. So, um, you had said to her that you can't do all three. Well, um, and that really struck me. So I was curious if it's ever able, if it's ever possible to do all three and, you know, at what cost. Well, why do you want to have a career outside? I mean, listen, and nobody's saying don't have a career. I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying that you can't mm-hmm. do all three together. And why would you want to? We'll get to that in a sec. But why do you want to have a career while you have 
babies at home? So I really um, would like to pursue clinical psychology. I'm very, very passionate about the work that I do in the field. And I've been, you know, embarking on this path for the past six or seven years of trying to get into that. Sorry, uh, you just said you were, you did just you for a second. You said you were pursuing the past for the last six to seven years. Uh, Yes, yes. And I knew that um, in order to pursue psychology, you really need to earn a PhD. It's very difficult to practice at a master's level. So I kind of knew in the beginning um, that I'd have to, uh, you know, get the PhD if I want to have the career that I really, you know, saw as the perfect career for myself. Um, And when I originally started, I had imagined that I would get straight into a uh, program, you know, right outside after undergrad, and I would finish the program around 27, 28. um, And just things haven't haven't panned out that way. So um, I didn't get into school. I didn't get into a graduate school right out of undergrad. And now I'm two years outside of school. So I'm 24. And I'll be applying to start potentially when I'm 25. So I'm now very aware of the fact that I'll be in the program for about five years. So I'll be finishing around 30. Well, and after that, what happens then, right? After that, if you want to practice, you usually have to go and be mentored for a couple of years, right? And then you have to take your practicums or whatever they're called, like your, I know what I'm talking about and all that. So it's a long haul. Now, Mm -hmm. I don't know where you are, but there are a lot of places where you can practice with a master's. I guess my question is, what you want to do is to talk to people about their problems and hopefully give Mm -hmm. good advice, right? Mm -hmm. So why do you have to have such a formal level of accreditation to do that? You can be a life coach, you can be an empowerment coach, you can be a non-psychologist who gives advice. I don't know what people call themselves, uh, but uh, you don't, if you don't use the term psychologist in in a lot of places, well, certainly you can't use the reserve term and so on, but Mm -hmm. you can, I don't know why you'd want to jump through all of those hoops. It'd be like me saying, I guess, well, I want to do a philosophy show, but I need a PhD in philosophy to do so. I mean, I'm not sure why the permission right. stuff is so important. Right, right. Well, I would say the the role that you would be in with a master's level in psychology, um, you're basically confined to doing just the counseling work. So if I wanted to go into um, research or into academia, which I do, then I would need the PhD. So I have like a 50-50 split between being passionate about research and also about the clinical work. Oh, so, right so it's not so much a, that you want to do therapy, but you want to do research? I want to be able to do both. And the PhD is the most versatile degree in that regard. So you're able to do both. But why, do you, point, um, why do you want to do research? What is it that you want to research? Um, so I have a couple of different research interests within the area of clinical and developmental psychology. So I'm based, I'm interested in how um, individuals cope with you know, various life stressors and the risk and protective factors for um, resiliency and emotion regulation and expression, and then how to improve interventions respectively. So um, I'm really passionate about um, research and writing and contributing to the field. And that's one way, one reason why I feel like I would be held back if I were just at the master's level. Right. Now, if you wanted to have kids, you could, of course, do it sooner rather than later. And then you be in your 30s, sort of early to mid 30s when they were more independent of yourself. And uh, you could, of course, do some part-time work in higher education if you wanted to. But, you know, if you want to do a PhD and be a therapist and do research and write papers Mm -hmm. and contribute to the field and be a wife and be a mom, I think that's insane. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I'm starting to realize that. Um, and, and not not because I mean, obviously you're a very smart woman and I'm sure you can do whatever it is that you want to. But that's insane. That's just going to, I can't imagine how that's not going to leave you dissatisfied in every conceivable area of your life, pun intended, I suppose. Right, right. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm surrounded by a lot of um, young women who are pursuing their career above family and, you know, thinking that they either have kids afterwards. Um, I know I have a few coworkers who tried to have um, children after the PhD programs and then realized that they couldn't, you know, have a baby and they regretted waiting as long as they did. So, um, you know, some people say that you can do it at the same time, but I think that just comes from the notion um, that, you know, you can do everything. And I think you called it balancing a baby on your hip while staring the Titanic or something along those lines. Well, it's funny so. because, I mean, men have been told, we, we men have been told about our limitations for basically thousands of years, but it's really intensified over the last 50 or 60 years. You know, we're limited in our ability to be emotionally available and expressive and intimate. And we're limited in our ability to commit. And we're limited in our this and limited in that. And and I think it's gone a little bit too far in insofar as about half of young British men well, around the age of 30 have erectile dysfunction. So it may have gone, the pounding down of masculinity has probably gone a little bit too far. You know, it's like when you pound a nail in and it goes in below the wood and then you've got to take it out and it's like, bye-bye wood. I've got to go in there with some depth charge or something. But something's happened with women, Ashley. I mean, tell me what you think if this is a reasonable analysis. It's like to to put limits on women to say you you can't have it all to say you've you've got to make sensible decisions with the limited time that you have. It's almost like then you're saying women can't achieve things, women can't do things, women shouldn't be professionals, and it's like no, I mean, I don't know what it is like this this empowerment thing. It can right. go too far. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, right, you right. can do anything. You're a superwoman. You you can have more than 24 hours of the day. And it's like, no, you, you can't. You're mortal. Right, you're right. human. And if you want to have kids, that should be your thing. I mean, there's no job, no career, no calling that is maybe maybe being a nun. But there's nothing that's more than being a mom. There's nothing that's more than being a parent. And I say this like I've got legitimacy to say this because it's because it's true. Also, I've been a stay-at-home dad. And was it just yesterday? I, it was a great. I had a day with my daughter. It was really, really nice. But then, you know, after the third hour of Monopoly, uh, it starts to become monotony, you know, <laughs> the game. <Yeah. laughs> and I remember around her age, I used to love playing Monopoly. I I could, you know, go to the park with five bucks and try and start a game. And there were these two uh, fun girls who used to live in the apartment building I lived in. And we used to meet up to play Monopoly. And it was, uh, I, and I loved the game when I was a kid, exactly her age. It's really, really great. But, uh, you know, get gets a little tiring after a while. And I say this with all due love and respect and, and all that. But uh, it is from, and, and she's more independent now, but, you know, for six or seven or eight years, it's pretty much from the moment they get up until the moment they go to bed. And depending on how much your child sleeps, um, that's a lot of time. And there's mm -hmm. not a lot of in-between time. And it is, you know, I don't know if you've had this where you've really, I mean, everyone has, of course you have, right? So if you have two things you need to do that are pulling you in opposite directions, it's really not a lot of fun. 
Mm-hmm. It's really not a lot of fun. I mean, I've had it where I'm trying to finish a show while at the same time I have to leave to go somewhere. It's really not fun to have these mm-hmm. two poles. And if you look at the people who are doing really, really well in this sort of alternative media, like a lot of them, it's just like sole focus, right? They may be, have girlfriends or boyfriends, they may be married, but often they don't have kids. And if they do have kids, then they have someone staying home. If you're in that situation where you have to study and at the same time your kids are begging you to come play with them, that's a miserable time. I mean, it, mm-hmm. these contradictions, these these collisions always happen in life. I mean, a, you can't design a life that doesn't have any of them. But why would you want right. to court so many? And the other thing too I'll say is that if you – if you cheat your kids of your time and attention when they're young, you know, life as a whole, it's pay me now or pay me later. And if you cheat your kids when they're young, what's going to happen is they'll be much more demanding of your time and attention and stress when they're teenagers because the bond won't be there. The security won't be there. The easy history of negotiation won't be there. The natural authority that comes from being devoted to a child won't be there. And I think what happens is for a lot of people too, let, let's say they do what I guess some of your colleagues are trying to do or what you would think of doing, which is do some big career thing at the same time as trying to raise kids and, and breastfeeding and being tired and being up all night. And everything then becomes really tough too, because if, you're, if you've got something important to do the next day and your kid is up with a cough or just can't sleep or whatever, then it's really much more stressful than it needs to be because of those collision situations. But what happens Mm -hmm. is I think a lot of people, a lot of people end up cutting back on what they're doing with their kids when their kids are babies, toddlers, infants, all throughout the latency period. And then when their kids begin to go off the rails or become more influenced by peers or by media videos and so on, music videos in particular, then they look back and say, I can't seem to get a grip on my teenager. I can't seem to have connection with my teenager. And you can't go back and rebuild, right? That You, you can go later, you know, like Brian May, the guitarist for Queen, interrupted his doctorate to go and play music for like 40 years. And then he returned to finish his PhD when he was, I don't know, what is he, 60 or 70 now? And my my own father ended up finishing more work on his uh, doctorate uh, much, much later in life. So you can circle back and do all of that kind of stuff. The one thing you can't do is circle back and develop a bond with your kids. That is Mm -hmm. a one-way ticket. There are no mulligans, no do-overs, no redos redos for that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So if you invest – if you want to do parenting plus career, if you invest in parenting for the first five or seven or ten years of your kids' lives, then they will be much more self-sufficient, much wiser, much more self-directed. They'll make much better decisions when they're teenagers and then you can concentrate on the work there without being constantly derailed by your teenagers going off the rails. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And um, especially, uh, you know, I came from a household that, you know, where my parents were really just swept up in their own chaos and didn't really have a lot of um, time or effort left over um, to, you know, pay attention to what I was doing. So I definitely don't want to have that experience later on in life, um, because I'm too preoccupied trying to balance 
um, tons of things. And there's also a notion, um, so I work with mostly females and there's a notion that it's only women who get this, you know, you can only do, uh, you know, two, not three of these three things, you know, having a marriage, having a, ch- uh, you know, children and having a career. And they say that, you know, men do it all the time and, you know, no one questions them. Oh, and I God, really, what a lot I of really, crap. I know. What a load know, of really, man hating, whiny, know, negative, <laughs> emotionally self indulgent, bitter, crony crap. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. men have got it so easy. Oh, yes. Yeah. We just sail through <laughs> life with people fanning us with golden gossamer swan wings while people feed peeled grapes into our mouths while massaging our feet <laughs> with scented oils. It's just so excellent being a man. That's why we live so much longer. Not. <laughs> That's why none of us commit suicide so much more. Not. That's why we're less prone to disease caught by stress. Not, oh man, it's just, oh yeah, men. Because how many men are staying home and having a career at the same time and being husbands? Like men don't get to stay home. Okay, so men go out and work and then they parent when they get home. So they only get two Mm -hmm. out of three. That's by far the standard for the men is to go out and work and then come home and try and squeeze in some time with the kids before they go to bed. Mm-hmm. that's heartbreaking. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, my father worked like probably 14, 15 hour days when I was younger and he had sleep apnea. So for every hour of the night he would sleep, for, he would actually rest for 15 minutes. So he probably got one hour of sleep every night and he did that for years and years on end. So, you know, he was able to have the career, but his presence, you know, really suffered in the household. Oh, yeah. And the man then, of course, has to say, uh, well, my, you know, I want to provide a good standard of living for my family, but my wife's going to get mad if I'm not home. Mm-hmm. Because she'll be like, well, you're just working all the time, and then she's going to get unhappy, and then I might get divorced, and then I'm toast, right? So it is very, very tough. Now, what about funding all of this? Let's say that you did want to do the PhD. I mean, what's the net cost for that? What's that going to run you in terms of uh, what money you have to lay out or someone has to lay out and also your lost earning potential if you're doing a PhD instead of working? So the cost of the PhD itself, um, because of the way that I intended on doing it, wouldn't have actually been much at all. So the programs that I applied to and Um, I'll get to this as well, but my boyfriend is also trying to pursue a a PhD in psychology. So we're both trying to do something really insane at the same time, which just complicates things further. Um, So we both applied to programs that um, they provide full funding. So they're very competitive. But if you are to get in, they completely waive your tuition and they actually um, provide you with a stipend to work for the university. Um, So it ends up, you end up getting paid a very small stipend, you know, enough to have cereal for dinner, basically. Wait, wait, but to work for the university? Yes, either as a research assistant or a teaching assistant in the program. Wait, so sometimes you, I'm sorry, sometimes you'd be you, pursuing, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Ashley, you just blew my mind a little bit more. So now we're talking about four things, being a wife, being a mom, pursuing a PhD, <laughs> and working for the university. Yes. <laughs> I mean, come on, come on, what are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing? What, what, that, that, that's no, there's no more certain recipe for a miserable life. Mm-hmm. I know. And when I, when I decided on this path, I really thought that I would, could be done with it by the time I was, like I said, 27, 28, and then focus on family, you know, as soon as I finish. And I will say that at the time that I started on this path, I was, um, 
you know, pretty far to the, I wouldn't say far. I was on the left. I was like a, a Bernie Sanders uh, supporter basically like two years ago. You were a psychologist. And, what was that? <laughs> you were into psychology. So I'm going to assume yes. on the left as a whole. Yes. Um, and yeah, absolutely. So in the past uh, year and a half, I've realized how uh, my values are actually, you know, very traditional and conservative. Um, and so along with that shift has come this, um, this like sense of crisis and uh, guilt over putting my career. No, better now than later. What was that? Better oh, now yeah, than later. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, so if your boyfriend is going to go for his PhD, Ashley, and you're going to go for your PhD, I guess I just have one wee question. Yes. How are you going to eat? <laughs> Roof over your head. Yeah. Clothing. Yeah. <laughs> how are you going to, how are you going to, I'm, I'm fascinated. I got to tell you, I'm rapidly fascinated by people's finances. I just find it immensely interesting. But how would you make enough money? So I would say it's, you know, it depends on where you live. Um, and if you're, uh, you know, like in the Midwest or if you're somewhere where the cost of living is, you know, manageable, you can have cereal every night basically for dinner. Um, you, It's really hard to imagine how you could ever afford to have even one child while you're in the program. Well, so, no, but if you go to, would you go to the same school? Well, you'd have so, to, right? Well, that's that's another thing. It's so so com uh, competitive. These programs they they get about um, two to seven hundred applicants, and they accept five to ten people. So, so the odds of you we, and your boyfriend getting in at the same college are almost not no. Right, exactly. And the thing is, if you go to the basically the programs, the um, the more competitive they are, the more they fund you. So if we were to apply to programs that are um, less competitive, they would get to be more expensive. Mm, mm. So being, we both applied this past year and didn't get in. Um, I came very close, but I did not get accepted. So next time around, we would apply to some programs that, you know, accept a higher amount of students, but they would be a little bit more expensive. So if you get in the program, you don't have to say where the university is, of course, mm -hmm. but is it a cheap place to live? Well, that's what we're, that's what we're going for. Yes. But you're not going to be able to be at the same college, almost certainly, right? Yeah, we try to apply to a bunch of schools in the same areas, but it's you know it's it's hard to imagine us both getting in at the same in the same region, even. And you know, I never thought I'd actually feel this way when I started out, um, you know, pursuing this career. But I've also come to a point where I feel like if I had to choose between my boyfriend and I getting the PhD, I would, um, you know gladly have him be the one to get the PhD. Well, sure. So I That's because you are a kind and thoughtful woman and you want society to have access to psychological expertise. And if you go and get the degree and then you decide to have a bunch of kids, society has just wasted a million dollars training a psychologist who ain't working in the field, right? Mm -hmm. So you actually want society to have psychological resources available to it and therefore that would be your husband because... Mm -hmm. He wouldn't be pregnant. He wouldn't be up breastfeeding uh, in the middle of the night. And mm -hmm. uh, he'd actually be able to go and see patients, which you would not, at least not very likely. Right, right. I'm just, yeah, I'm, let me help you. Just help me understand why you care so much about researching other people rather than raising your own children. That That I'm trying to sort of figure out. Yeah, that's actually something that I've been um, thinking about a lot over the past couple couple of weeks because, um, uh, you know, the irony of ironies, my research interests have shifted towards 
um, you know, children develop children's development. And, um, I'm just sitting here thinking, you know, I'm going to be researching other, other people's children and not taking proper care of my own, which is just absolutely That's wild. I mean, when you think it's about really it, that insane. is, yeah. that is really like, fantastic. And, and I mean, yeah. in terms of fantastical, what, so what do you think drives that? Like you could either raise your own children in a wonderful way and have those children bond with you and love you and be there with you as you age and, and give you grandchildren that, that bond you in, in a wonderful tribal familial bond and then be there when you get old and creaky and ill and be there as you're dying in a wonderful rich soup of family connection. Or you could just go sit in a fluorescent office and watch how often babies blink and then die alone. You know, I mean, I just, it seems kind of an odd dichotomy to me. Yeah, yeah, I I know. And, you know, there's something called, um, people refer to it as me search in, you know, in the field of wanting to do research that's relevant to yourself. And it just kind of comes up naturally in a lot of people. And so I always have a radar for that um, to, you know, make sure I'm not doing something because of my own instincts. But Well, no, you um, are. Everybody does. Right, absolutely. No, like everybody does. I mean, why am I so interested in promoting reason? And why am I so good at combating irrationality? Because I grew up with a mother who was insane. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, philosophy, I guess, is the right, name of right. the show. I mean, everybody does stuff because of their right, own right. motivations. But I'm trying to think why, what is the driver behind you wanting to do all of this stuff and sacrifice time with your own children to study other people's children? And, you know, I would say I would, I don't want to sacrifice my children. And that's why I'm, you know, I'm really. Uh, you know, debating what I'm going to do moving forward right now. Um, well, no, if you didn't want to sacrifice your children, technically the debate would be over by now, right? I'm sorry. I just want to point out that it's logical. Will, will you say like, if you'd already, I'm not going to sacrifice my kids. Okay. Well then don't go to graduate school when you're kid, when you've got kids. Right. But if right. you're still debating it, then it's still, uh, you still haven't decided whether or not you're going to sacrifice your kids. Yeah. And I guess, you know, maybe it's the notion of just, um, you know, taking long breaks in my career and, and all that, that makes me feel like it might be possible. But, um, a big part of me wanting to uh, pursue research is the fact that I'm just really unhappy looking at where the field of psychology is going. And especially in higher education, um, you know, so many ideas that are circulating that are just really absolute nonsense. And, um, you know, the postmodernism that's really invading, um, these clinical programs and, you know, the types of research that you come across in the labs at these programs are just, you know, absolutely ridiculous. It's, it's really, um, getting really far away from being a hard science and, uh, it's very disappointing. So, so Wait, it's, you, so you want to wage war against postmodernism in the field of psychology? <laughs> No, listen, don't, don't get, hey, that's a noble goal, mm-hmm. but why would anyone hire you? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, they, they don't want, fair. they don't want someone to go to war with their treasured belief system, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's of, like being an atheist yeah. saying, well, I really want to, I really want to join the Catholic church and wage war against their religiosity. It's like, hey, guess whose resume is going straight to the shredder? <laughs> Mm-hmm. I mean, yep, you, you, th- yep. this is a very self-destructive path, right? Because you're going to sacrifice a lot in your personal life to the point of beating your head against the foggy wall of academic indifference and you'll end up with nothing. Mm-hmm. 
I know you definitely have to hide the sort of belief until you're kind of in the field. Um, because they've done, I know they've done studies where they'll have applications go out to schools where some will either say that they have conservative beliefs or religious beliefs mm -hmm. and some will not. And they have everything else is exactly the same. And, you know, of course, the ones that don't list conservative or religious beliefs, you know, do far better. No, but um, so you, but you believe that there's some barrier you can get through where you will be able to come out of the closet, so to speak, as a non-leftist and do what? I mean, you still need funding, right? And why would anyone fund you if they disagree with your entire perspective and think you're a very bad person? Mm -hmm. The only person I know who's actually doing this successfully is Jordan Peterson. And that's, you know, of course, it's, he's the only one who's doing it. So, yeah, well, he's, but he's really not doing it. I mean, his capacity as a psychologist certainly helps. You know, with Kathy Newman, and she's like, well, what What gives you the right to say this? Is like, I'm a clinical psychologist, right? But Peterson right. is not doing it in the psychology environment. He's doing it in the mainstream market environment, mm -hmm. right? So he's not infiltrating psychological places and attempting to change things from the inside. He is mm -hmm. taking his, his books and his tours and his lectures and his speeches, uh, all going in a sense, to the free market. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which explains how he can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know anything that's changed in the field of psychology because of what Jordan Peterson is doing, but certainly he's had a very positive impact on lots of people, mm -hmm. but only insofar as he is not doing therapy with them one-on-one, -on -one, but rather engaging with them in the public sphere. Right. Yeah, I can see it's kind of an impossible task. <laughs> but why do you want it? I don't know if I feel any better um, about walking away from it. Walking away from what? Like the people who are influencing, you know, emerging adults right now in colleges, for example, in psychology departments. No, but they're losing. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, the, seriously, they're losing to people who are not in academia. Right, right. Let me, yeah. I, just for those who don't know, I'm sure you know actually what I'm talking about, but let me just spend mm -hmm. a minute explaining that to people. So my show, this show, Free Domain Radio, has, I don't know, passed half a billion views and downloads, 500 million views and downloads. Now, if people say, oh, Steph, you should have gone into academia. Okay, if I'd gone into academia, maybe I'm teaching 50 people a year, right? So mm -hmm. over a 10-year career, it's 500 people. Over a 40-year career, I got 2,000 people. So I got 500 billion, sorry, 500 million, or I have a couple thousand maybe. Now, the people who I would be teaching in university, a lot of them would come in with beliefs directly oppositional to what I would be teaching in university. And so a lot of people wouldn't take my course. A lot of people would take my course, be shocked and appalled and spend the entire semester fighting with me or drop out or complain or whatever, right? Whereas I actually get to speak to people who are open-minded and, and curious and want to hear what I'm putting out there. 
And so if you say, well, you know, there's all these people in universities who are influencing people, my goodness. Compare that to all the people not in universities who are influencing people. I mean, the people in universities are kind of like the monks who copy out every single book by hand because it's the 10th century. Whereas the internet is like people who've got the printing press and are flooding Europe with books. The monks, they've got some nice calligraphy. They've got ink-stained fingers. And I guess they show up in Sean Connery movies about the Middle Ages, but they're really not having a lot of effect relative to people who've got the printing press who are cranking out books by the hundreds every day. So academia, I mean, who cares? You can't change it. You can't fight it. They, their funding comes from the government for the most part, or it comes from the government guaranteeing student loans and all that. And they also are, you know how hair grows for a couple of hours after you die and your fingernails grow even though you're dead? Mm-hmm. Well, academia died, you know, 10, 20 years ago, but mm-hmm. it's still coasting on the momentum of its prior credibility or cred- its prior authority. And so if mm-hmm. you're concerned about the effects that academia is having on the world, sure, I mean, I think that's important, but it's like getting mad at the monks up in their towers, copying every laborious book by laborious page by hand. They're not really that much of an influence anymore. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of people now who just recognize that academia is a complete crap show of indoctrination, has nothing to do with thought. So if you want to strike a blow at academia which I have no problem with you wanting to do, then what you want to do is have nothing to do with academia, but instead go straight Mm -hmm. to the market. You can write a blog about parenting. You can write a blog about relationships. You can write a blog about your thoughts. You can video, you can podcast, you can go on people's shows. There's so much that you can do to reach literally thousands or maybe even millions of times more people than will ever pass through academia. Mm -hmm. It just seems like you're getting drawn into fighting on their turf, on Mm -hmm. their terms, using their weapons, when they have all of the advantages. So my question is, who programmed you to lose? Who programmed you to want to go into an environment where you have the least chance of success and your enemies have the greatest chance of defeating you? Where in your life, in your past as a child, did you continually lose? I mean, I would say in a lot of ways, um, just the way that like my family functioned, there was really like no winning. <laughs> right. Um, so. So for you, academia is a refu, right? Mm. I'm going to fight corrupt authority, but this time I'm going to win. No, you won't. And you don't need to because there's no need to engage academia in the realm of academia. They've got tenure, they've Mm -hmm. got guaranteed funding, they've got unions, they've got the media on their side, they've got their hit squad of thugs to take out whoever they don't like. You know, Charles Murray and and the woman who tried to defend him when he was attacked who ended up in hospital, the bike swinging, the bike lock swinging guy who's now facing a prison and who's going to have a very, very bad uh, time of it. Why on earth would you, like, I think that I, I think that your drive to go and reform academia is more to do with what I call a Simon the Boxer, a repetition compulsion, to put yourself in a situation where you're trying to do the right thing, but you can't and you'll lose. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm, I'm very aware of, you know, my liberal tendencies, because it really was only two years ago that I had that mindset. So I'm trying hard to, um, to not just go with, you know, what my beliefs were from, from earlier. Um, because really, even in the past, um, two years since I've been out of college, um, you know, I've spent virtually every single solitary day, um, with my boyfriend watching podcasts, listening to your show, you know, uh, daily wire, CRTV, you know, just everything we could get our hands on. And I have absolutely learned more in the past two years than I have in my entire education. And I think that's probably a lot of people. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's actually kind of surprising to me that I haven't thought about this sooner because, um, you know, I've only really felt like I've been learning since I finished college. Right. Right. And I would imagine, Ashley, that you have this belief that in academia, they want to do the right thing. They just have the wrong information. And if you mm -hmm. give them better information and counter their erroneous perspectives, that they will swing to doing the right thing. Oh, thank you. I did want to go north. Now that you've pointed out that I was, in fact, going south, I'm going to turn right around and head <laughs> north. I can guarantee you that will not happen. Mm -hmm. They do not, in general, have a goal to do the right thing, and they merely have the wrong information. Because they've had the right information for decades and decades and decades now. I mean, just in terms of economics or, or self-knowledge or philosophy, uh, they've had better information. They've had the right arguments. And the goal is to accumulate power, not to pursue virtue. And anything which is going to interfere with their pursuit of power is going to be something that they will basically viciously attack or undermine or ostracize. And so what that means is I would imagine, I mean, I've got your ACE score right in front of me and it's seven out of 10. So that was terrible, terrible stuff around when you were uh, a child. So my guess is that if you have a belief that you can reform academia because you think they have the right intentions but the wrong information, my guess is that you also have a feeling, probably a prior feeling, that you can reform your family or your parents because they had the right intentions but the wrong information. Yeah, I would say that's absolutely true. And I actually had sent in a second question that I don't intend on, you know, being able to get through tonight, but it was related to the fact that um, I tend to fall into the position of being like my family's therapist. And they always look at me and say, Hey, you know, you understand psychology, you, you know, what's, what's going on. Um, and I'm constantly being put in the middle. And it's um, a really difficult position to be in. So um, I'm sure you're spot on with that. And I think as far as me believing that people in academia um, at least have the right intentions, um, even with them being so uh, so far on the left, I think that's in part because of the fact that, you know, two years ago, I, you know, had good intentions and I at least I, I thought I was on the left. And so, you know, thinking back to then, I wouldn't have realized how horrible everything was that I had believed in. Um, but I was never first of all, I was, you know right out of college. I think I was, um, I was in an absolute bubble. Um, and I was also not trying to force my beliefs on anyone else ever. Uh, and I, you know, that's obviously what they're trying to do. So. 
And how has it uh, worked out for you being your family's therapist? <laughs> um, it's very stressful. But uh, I will say one recent somewhat accomplishment is that I have uh, convinced sort of um, my dad to um, to start therapy. And we're trying to get my brother to start therapy as well. That way they will both have, you know, their own professional therapist to speak to. Your, and not so you said your brother and your father? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why the men? Um, well, they have a very explosive um, relationship that has just recently, you know, well, it, it always really, um, you know, tends to explode, but it recently did, you know, again. And so it got to a point where they, um, they basically tried to disown each other. And my dad told my brother to, uh, to consider him dead and to delete his number and all the rest. And my brother is about to become a father in a couple of months. So um, it, it was just a oh, whole your, lot at your, once. Your father is attacking his son while his mm -hmm. son's wife is pregnant. Yes. It gets that's better. horrible uh, it because, gets, listen, listen. Yeah. Because that stress spills over. Yep, yep. Into the mom, into the womb. Yep. And it is really an assault on the fetus. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And I told him that as what well. What the hell and is he doing? I know. I, well, and to make it worse, um, my dad is temporarily my uh, brother's, I guess you can call him his landlord. And uh, he threatened to evict them as well while she's pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And where's your mom? Um, not getting in the middle, that's for sure. I think she's... Wait, uh, wait, wait, wait. What do you mean I getting think, in the middle? No, no, no. She's no, the mom. Not, not, no, I, I she's, she's not. She's, she's the not, parent. She's, she's not some innocent no. bystander getting dragged into a turf war. No, definitely. I, I mean, she's not. She's not uh, intervening at all. She's on the sidelines. I think um, she's really afraid of... Um, of getting involved and she's really afraid of my father so because he think, abused her right yeah yeah and how, how in what manner did he abuse her um physically verbally um he you know i remember at times he would break objects over her like he broke a spatula by hitting her so hard in the arm with it um he really really um was harmfully physically abusive to her i called the cops one time on him uh, when I was in high school at like seven o'clock in the morning because, uh, they were fighting and I heard, you know, glass breaking and her screaming. So, uh, not only was he abusive, but then I, when they first were getting divorced, he was also, he had some like stalker tendencies towards her. So he was recording her phone calls. He put a tracker on her car so that he could see where she was going. Um, and she's really petrified now. She doesn't want him to know uh, where she lives, uh, or any way to contact her. And she's just really absolutely afraid of getting in the middle because she thinks that he'll come after her. Right. Right. And how old were you when they divorced? I was, um, about 13 or so, but they, it took them, you know, maybe seven to 10 years between the start of them wanting to get divorced to them officially uh, being divorced. And I really have no recollection of them having a, a happy marriage. 
Was he violent before he was a father? Uh, according to her, no. Really? Do you believe that? Like that the children turned him evil? So, I can't imagine. First of all, I can't really imagine, of course, that there was no, there were no signs. Um, I also know that um, my mom was married before him and she, she, uh, or she was supposed to be married and she was a runaway bride because she was going to get married to someone who was uh, really, really controlling. And uh, he started to get violent and then she ran away from him. So I already know that you know, she had a relationship like that before, which so makes mom, me think that there's Mom had there's a soft spot there. for the rough boys, right? Yes. So yeah, to speak, definitely. or a yeah. squishy spot for the rough boys. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And your father's childhood, do you know much about that? Uh, yeah, so his his family was, um, uh, they were really chaotic as well. So there was a lot of uh, fighting in his household. Um He's uh, Israeli and he has an Israeli temper. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there was a lot of anger in his household directed towards his mom. So it was like a tag team of everyone being mean to his mother between him, his brother and his dad. Um, and to this day, him and his brother, you know, really don't get along. They have a lot of really bitter arguments. He was Israeli. He's Israeli. Israeli and has an Israeli temper. I don't. Yeah. I don't know what that means because okay. the, the Israelis that I know don't. <laughs> Is that like a thing? I mean, it's. I thought that's what I have. I have been exposed to at least, but yeah, it might um, be a bit of a self-selecting group, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so. And what happened well, to you yeah. as a child with regards to uh, molestation? Um. So. I think, uh, is that the one about, uh, with someone who was, uh, five years or older? Uh, I don't know that I can't recall okay. the details of okay. the question, okay. but it's okay. a third okay. one. No problem. No problem. So, um, when I was, uh, 12 or th 12, between 12 and 13, um, I was with a, a group of friends who were, uh, a couple of years older than me. So, you know, my close friends and, you know, the guys that they were around, everyone were, they were a couple of years older. Um, and I got uh, romantically involved with someone who was, uh, 17 at the time when I was 12. Um, not realizing how horrible it was until, uh, much later. So I think that question was, uh, I think it said, for, with someone who was five years older and he was just at the five-year mark. So I hesitated putting that down, but uh, it of course counts. So, And was that a sexual relationship as well? Uh, yes. Yeah. And of course, this was right around the time that the, your parents' marriage was cratering, right? Mm-hmm. And did your father know anything about this? Did your mother know anything about this? Um... No. I want to say no. Initially, they did not. Um, there was a, a a little bit of a situation uh, at some point where um, I had uh, sent him explicit photos and he shared them with his friends who were in the high school that I would go to in a couple of years. And uh, some girl who didn't like me got her hands on them and she posted them on the internet. 
So and as a preteen, you sent him explicit photos, which then ended up on the internet. Yep. And the reason why I say my family didn't know until then was because at that point, um, I was harassed really, really terribly over this incident. And people were putting the picture in my mailbox. They were, you know, really coming after me for it. So, you know, we had to go to the police and everything. And it was, uh, it was, it was definitely, they, they knew about it at that point. Was this son of a bitch arrested? Um, he was. Good. Yeah. And then your parents went ahead and divorced, right? Ah, uh, yes. I'm so sorry about all of this, Ashley. What a horrendous mess. And uh, what a terrible, terrible environment for you as a child. Mm-hmm. Does your mother have a temper or does she mostly just fold? She she does not have a temper at all. She... Uh really actively avoids conflict. So definitely. Well, not, not that actively. Okay. She right. Cause she did to. marry a guy who beat her and okay. who yeah. threatens to kick out his pregnant daughter-in-law. And so not super right. great just, at avoiding conflict. Right. Right. And spent 10 years on the verge of divorce. Right. Right. I shouldn't say avoids conflict, but you know, confronting the person having a verbal disagreement, um, she she definitely uh, has that tendency, and my brother has gotten that from her as well. So when my brother and my uh, and my dad fight now, my brother shuts down in the same way. Which I assume drives your dad insane, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why do you think that your mother didn't work harder to protect her children from her husband's rages? So I think it was largely out of fear of what he would do if she initiated um, a divorce sooner. Um, So he threatened at one point that he would take us and he would leave or he would take us to Israel and, you know, she wouldn't see us again, like that sort of thing. And um, not only that, but because of the fact that he was uh, so... um, you know, angry and had this temper and was physically abusive. She was also terrified that if they were to get divorced and they would uh, have partial custody, that we would have a certain amount of time where we would just be with him. So she, the way she describes it now is that she decided to stay a little bit longer so that she could be there to quote unquote, protect us from him. Um, which of course I don't, I don't really believe that was the case. Um, But she was just really afraid of what he would do if he had us alone, basically. Well, but uh, I'm no expert, and don't don't tell me where you are, of course, Ashley, but as far as I understand it, if you beat your wife, you go to jail. Isn't that kind of keeping him... And there are custodies, uh, sorry, protective custody orders. There are no contact orders, so you can get policemen to to protect you i mean there are entire legal systems set up to try and keep families safe from such mm-hmm. abusers i mean if she had been decisive if she had okay i'll document this i'll take photos of this i'll document that and then after the third time i go to the cops he's got three charges of assault he's gone mm-hmm. and he ain't getting custody yep so i think that would have been much preferable 
Well, I mean, how often would he hit or rage? Oh, uh, you know, as often as I would see him, um, he would very frequently. And he also was pretty physically abusive to my brother as well. Um, me to a lesser degree, but we were very afraid of him when we were younger. And he also, what's really amazing to me is that he seems to have no recollection of these things. It's almost like he was in a blind rage the way he describes it now. Um, what do you mean he seems he to have no recollection of these things? So I, I spoke to him recently about how hard he was on my brother when he was younger. Not and hard. No, not hard. Be beating up on children is not being hard on them. Yes. Yeah. But anyway, so you brought up the abuse. I should say and... how horrible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He said that he, he didn't remember ever doing that and he didn't remember ever being hard on him and it, you know, it's unbelievable. So I. So he's a liar. I, yes. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I assume he doesn't have any cognitive deficiencies because of head injuries or Alzheimer's or anything like that, right? Uh, no. The only thing that I would add is that he had that severe sleep apnea, and when the sleep apnea got really bad, is when he seemed to have lost it. Um, and I don't really know. Uh, but why? Why I did he have sleep know. apnea for so long? I don't. Was he overweight? I mean. Um, he was overweight. And oh, so he was, he was like significantly overweight? What are we no, talking about? No, no, not significantly. Like how much? Um, maybe 30, 40 pounds overweight. Right. Okay. So he was a little bit overweight, but I'm, mm -hmm. you can go and get treatments for sleep apnea, can't you? I mean, why didn't he get treated? I, that's a great question. Why didn't your wife insist he get treated? All great questions. I, I know. Does he remember other things from the past or is like their entire decades wiped out? I feel like their entire decades wiped out. Um, he also cheated on my mom for a long time and, uh, he has to this day not admitted to it. Even Wait, but when I you bring know? it up. How do I know that he cheated on her? Yeah, but he hasn't admitted it, right? Oh, yeah. Um, so when when I was uh, like uh, 12 or so when this was all happening and when my mom was, you know, finding more and more proof of it, um, we had also moved, uh, you know, an hour and a half away from where uh, we knew anyone. And so she didn't have any, this is like her excuse, but is that she didn't have anyone else to confide in and she chose her 12 year old daughter. So she shared these things with me when I was younger, you know, I, I don't even know if it was purposefully or not, but I just remember walking into her crying after finding, you know, emails and different things and her telling me, um, and you know, I asked him about it later and he denies it. Even though so what I was the know. proof that she got though? Uh, so one example was he had a, um, a profile on a dating website and it said that he's a married man looking for an, uh, an explicit, uh, you know, relationship on the side. Right. And so your mother confides that your father is having affairs mm -hmm. uh, when you're 12, which is the same time that you embarked on an affair with a 17 year old. Well, not really an affair, but you know what I mean? Right. 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 So. Communication of sexual impropriety leads to sexual impropriety. Mm -hmm. 
Now, when your parents divorced, how did she deal with the fears that he was going to be taking you to Israel or he was going to be attacking you if you were alone with him? So all of these fears that she said she stayed with him for, how did they play out when you were 12 or 13 and they divorced? How did she end up dealing with those fears? So I think one of the things that she did was um, she, so she was a stay at home mom when I was younger and she basically, she did not go back to work until um, we were finishing high school, you know, around that age. And so the entire time she uh, stayed home so that I think in part so that she could be there, you know, to put us on the bus and to pick us up off the bus and make sure that, uh, you know, there was never a time where he was alone with us really. And that also caused them to have a lot of conflict because, you know, all the financial burden being on my dad and, um, this is a wonderful segue, but that's not what I asked. Yeah. Yeah. So you said that your mom had all these reasons to stay with him, which was to do with the fact that she was there to protect the children. Mm -hmm. Now, when your parents divorced, how did she deal with those issues? of protecting the children. In other words, were you alone um, with your father after they divorced? Uh, was he more violent or was he more dangerous during divorce or after that you know? Uh, so I don't think he was much more violent. He did move out of the house um, and left us in the house that um, he was paying for actually for a couple of years at the end um, of high school. So. So she was wrong. Yes, definitely. So she stayed with him for over a decade in order to protect her children from a threat that never materialized. Right. And actually, the only time it really materialized was when we were much younger and when they were in a household together. So what does she think of the fact that she stayed together to protect her children, but did the exact opposite of protecting them? I mean, that's a horrible thing to live with, isn't it? Yeah. I'm going to do X in order to protect my children. It turns out that by doing X, I subjected them to horrifying dangers. And then by leaving my husband, I then helped protect them. Mm-hmm. Has she processed that at all? Is that? I don't think so. And did you end up being in shared custody with your father? Um, so they never they never ended up having any sort of formal custody agreement. I just ended up staying with my uh, with my mother primarily, and I would go visit my dad every two or three weeks or so to have a meal, and that was it. But I thought that your mother didn't want you alone with your father for fear of his violence. So how did you end up going back? Well, that was by the time that I, um, you know, was uh, 17, 18 or so. And oh, no, no. But what about the time from 12 to 13 until then, like the half decade or so? I'm sorry. Can you repeat the question? Sure. So you said that your mother was staying with your father because if she separated from him, then you would then be alone with your father. Mm-hmm. And he was too dangerous for that, according to her, right? Mm-hmm. So then she leaves your father when you're 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. 
And so she obviously wouldn't want you alone with your father because that was the whole point of staying and exposing you to such violence for 10 years. Mm -hmm. So what happened after your parents divorced, you went to go live with your mom. What happened with seeing your father alone, which was the whole reason, like avoiding that was the whole reason your mother stayed? I I really honestly don't know. I I'm having a hard time thinking about that. Um, she didn't really tell us or encourage us not to at that point. And no, but you you did see him alone. Is that right? Oh, you and your brother would see him alone. Yeah, we um. So we only would really go out to restaurants and be in public. I never. But no, your I, mother couldn't control that, right? Right, right. So I'm I'm sorry. Just I'm just stuck on this point. And and if you don't yeah. have an answer, that's fine. I'm just. Yeah. I want to make sure I pursue this line because, you know, when I hear your mom in my mind saying, well, I've got to stay in the marriage because otherwise my children will be alone with this monster. And then she divorces him and then lets her children be alone with this monster. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. I, I absolutely agree. Because the other possible explanation, Ashley, is that she finally couldn't stand it and it had nothing to do with the kids at all. She stayed because she preferred to stay. She left when she couldn't stand it. It had nothing to do with what the children wanted. Mm. And it's interesting that your father's memory gets foggy. And your memory gets foggy too. Right? Mm-hmm. I will say, though, from the time I was... Um also 12 until the until probably 18 or 19 I was also you know I was out of the house a lot and I was doing drugs a lot at that time and sorry from 12 you said 12 to 18 Mm -hmm. and were you introduced by drugs by this boyfriend slash yes pedophile whatever Mm -hmm. he introduced you to like marijuana and stuff yes yep wow and did your parents know that you were doing that too uh, no. My God. Nope. And that's why I say they were so, you know, wrapped up in their chaos. They, were, they just they had no care in the world about, um, or at least it felt like they had no care about where I was and what I was doing at that time. Like, I, it blows my mind that I, you know, got away with as much as I did. And I can never imagine, you know. No, you got away with letting, nothing. Well, no, you didn't yeah, get away with yeah, that. I know what you yeah, mean. Yeah, I know what you yes, mean, but yes, you didn't get yes. away with anything. You got away with getting addicted to drugs before you were a teenager, and you got away with having explicit photos of your preteen body put on the internet. Mm-hmm. You got away with nothing. There was no no escape from anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Did they ever know during this period from 12 to 18 that you were doing these drugs? Um, they, they did here and there. I remember they, they definitely found things, you know, that I used the great excuse of, oh, it's my friends or, oh, it's someone else's. And even though I don't think they ever really believed me, they just kind of let it go. Um, also my mom, uh, Apparently, my mom smokes uh, marijuana, and I she's never admitted that to me. 
Um, my dad told me that she does. And I've come home before with um, it smelling and, you know, her having red eyes and all that. And um, so I, you know, I think that played some small role in her, you know, turning away from that behavior, even though it's no excuse for it. Was there any other substance abuse, Ashley, that you know of that was part of this hellscape of your early family life? Um, of my parents using different drugs? You well, mean? alcohol, drugs, whatever. No, no. So they didn't, they didn't drink. Right. And no other drugs. Why is your brother living with your father? So he, he's not technically living with him. Um, it's a bit of a confusing situation. My dad basically, um, he renovates uh, houses. He flips houses for a living. And so he got a foreclosure and renovated it for my brother and his wife. The plan was for them to make payments towards the total of the house for two years and then get a formal mortgage. So they're very close to the point of getting a formal mortgage. And um, they were thinking they might not want the house anymore and told my dad that. And he just snapped at that point. Well, is it the house they don't want or your father? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Does your brother not make enough money to afford his own place to live? Um, I, I want. I would say yes, he does. Him and his wife are uh, not. Oh, they the, were trying to save a little money. Yes. Yeah, how's that working out? It is not working out at all. <laughs> There's nothing more expensive than cheap or free. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow. Yep. What are you going to do, Ashley, when you become a mom with your father? I don't know yet. Because I think if people have a difficult relationship with their father, I think sometimes people and maybe even women in particular put off having children just because they put off that problem of I had an abusive parent, what am I going to do? Because my parents, like having the child is this big red carpet invite for the parent to come back, right? Right, right. I mean, we want to come and see the grandchild, the grandchildren, we're coming over. And the boundaries, <laughs> the wall comes down, right? The boundaries mm -hmm. vanish. And what are you supposed to say? What are you supposed to do? I, yeah, I I don't know. And I think that that's definitely right because I've even had thoughts about, you know, having stress about my future wedding because of the fact that my family will have to be together for it. Well, they don't have to be. Well. <laughs> Everything's yeah. a choice. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Tell me about the pluses of having your father in your life, Ashley. <sighs> um... So I, I do on one hand believe that he's learned from a lot of pain over, um, over the past while. And he does feel like a different person. And we actually have a, you know, a seemingly decent relationship right now. Um, 
of course, there's a lot in there. And um, I know it's just kind of on the surface, it's okay. But if we, you know, really get into it, um, there's a lot of problems there. But I'm also, uh, I'm very open, typically, like now at this point, I'm very open about how I feel about, you know, issues with him. And I'm really not afraid to say things to him that are bothering me. So, um, but he's threatening to kick your brother and sister-in-law out on the street while she's pregnant. Yeah, I know. Like, I know. help me understand where he's become a better person, but he's doing that. And he also has refused to admit, take ownership for, acknowledge or apologize for extraordinarily abusive parenting. So how is I mean, I'm, I'm open, like, I'm, maybe we've just skipped over this part of the story, or maybe I hit my head and passed out for 10 minutes while you were telling me how all this came about. But how has he become a better person? No, I, I, um, I hear you and I feel, I do feel conflicted over this myself. Um, you know, this sort of thing with him, um, you know, threatening to evict them and, you know, getting this angry. Um, he had not gotten this angry in a very long time. And so I think I've had a lot of issues, um, just recently since I saw him explode like that, I was actually uh, on the phone with my brother when he told him all of this. We were on a three-way call, so I heard all of it. And, um, you know, of course, it made me question how much I thought that he had changed, that he was still capable of. Well, there's you know, a latency the period before the grandkids come along where right. there's less triggering going on, right? Mm-hmm. But once the grandkids come, come along, the grandparents, they gain power. They gain leverage, right? Mm -hmm. And then you get a return to early patterns a lot of times. And you right. see how your father's treating your brother when your brother's going to become a father. And what do you think is going to happen to you and your husband-to-be to when you become a mother? Well, you know, I have to tell yeah. you, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, part of my issue has been the fact that, you know, a lot of my dad's, um, you know, anger and violence and everything was always directed towards my brother and my mother and not towards me. So when I was younger and I tried to think about, you know, how I could still communicate with him and still, you know... <laughs> you know, imagine being in the role of his daughter was just to focus on, it, it really sounds silly to even say out loud, but just to focus on the way he treats me and the way I treat him and try to block everything else out. Because at that point, it just was impossible to imagine doing anything else. And I absolutely understand now that it's an active choice um, to involve him in my life and also no, no, in hang on, hang on. the life of no, my children. No, the issue is you're betraying your brother. I know. No, seriously. I mean, if your brother ever hears this conversation, Ashley, mm -hmm. and he hears you say, oh, yeah, no, I've got a good relationship with my dad. We're getting along well. It's kind of superficial, but blah, 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 right? Mm -hmm. It means that you have to throw your brother under the bus to appease your father because otherwise you'll be treated like he treats your brother. And that's that can't make you feel good. Your brother's a victim in this, right? Yeah. Now... He was a victim as a child. He's got choices as an adult. And his first responsibility, I'll say this to you if you end up listening to this, 
brother of Ashley, your responsibility is to keep your wife as free of stress as humanly possible during her pregnancy. Because stress can do terrible things to a fetus. Mm-hmm. And people say to me, or ask me, you know, like, well, why didn't you have your mom in your life? It's like, because, because I became a husband and a father. And I don't, if I just, if it was just me, then the only effect of having my mother in my life would accrue to me. And that would be bad for me, but at least it would be, you know, it's one thing to not eat well yourself. It's another thing to feed junk food to your child, right? Mm-hmm. One is self-abuse. The other is abuse of, other, of of the other. And it's, you know, when you, be, when you become a father, when you become a husband and a father, it's just an easier decision. It's like, well, I... I can't have people in my life who make me that horrified and upset. And I can't have people in my life who trigger me. And I can't have people in my life who treat me badly. Can't do it. I mean, it's clarifying. Like, I just, I can't do it. Because it's not up to me anymore. It's not up to me anymore. Because now I have responsibilities that, like, I could maybe take it myself if somebody came up with some compelling reason. But there's no compelling reason that says, well, this is going to degrade my capacity to be a good husband and a good father significantly. And also, if you just, like if I was just an isolated guy, just lived alone and went to see my mom or whatever, it wouldn't transmit to anyone else directly, right? But if my mom's around and she's yelling at me or screaming at me or throwing things or whatever, and my daughter's in the room, it's transmitting, you see? Right. It's landing into her like bombs. Mm -hmm. It's landing into her. Is landing into her. And I, I can't have it. Like any, any more than, like, let's say I want some dangerous pet in the house. Okay. Well, if it mauls me, that's bad. But at least I made the choice and it's only affecting me. But if I have kids in the house and I bring some dangerous animal into the house, you can't. (laughs) Like, you shouldn't do it if it's just you. But once you have a husband, a wife, children, You can't do it. Mm -hmm. You simply can't have dangerous people around your children. It's it's not even like, oh, I'd like to or is this? No, you can't. And your father is already stress bombing the fetus. Yeah. And that tells you everything you need to know. And I don't think, Ashley, that the big problem is postmodernism in psychology as far as corruption in your world goes. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's a proxy, you understand? That's a safe target. Yeah. I'm going to fix the psychology departments around the world. <laughs> While my father stress bombs my sister-in-law's baby, my brother's baby, and denies that he ever abused anyone the corruption is coming from inside the house. It's not out there, you understand? Yep. 
And it doesn't take yeah. a PhD in research to figure out <laughs> how to clean up your environment, does it? No. No, it does not. I don't know where um, where the idea comes from in me of not um, being willing to give up on family members. That was definitely something that I've thought a lot it about comes from the them. past year. No, that's it comes from them, not from you. Listen, let me let me ask you a question. Yeah. If your father was just some guy that you met at a party, and he proudly told you about how he was threatening to kick his daughter-in-law, his pregnant daughter-in-law out in the street and how he'd hit his children two to three times a month when they were little about him, how as a father, his daughter had become addicted to drugs and been exploited by an older boy at the age of 12 and compromising pictures of her ended up on the internet. And then he leaned over to you and he said, Hey, Ashley, Let's be friends. What would you say? <laughs> I'd run. You would run. Yeah. And that's called philosophy. Not sentimentality. Mm. Your father has done some extraordinarily evil stuff. And some extraordinarily destructive stuff as a husband and as a a father. He was sleeping around on your mom, which means bringing potential STDs into the house. Maybe he did. I don't know. He did, yeah. He did? Mm-hmm. Well, and those could have been fatal STDs, right? Yep. I mean, it's Russian roulette with your cock, friendly, frankly. And... He doesn't admit fault. He doesn't admit that anything happened. And excuses are promises of repetition, you understand, right? I mean, if people make excuses or they say that it didn't happen or they don't remember, they're just saying, well, we'll I'll do it again. I, I, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. And that's why, you know, I mean, I talked to my mom and asked her for the truth, asked her to admit. No. Wouldn't admit. Couldn't be in a position of vulnerability. Couldn't be in a position of being wrong. And nothing is more boring to have in your life than someone who won't admit fault. Ugh. Mm -hmm. So boring. So predictable. So machiney. It's just like a defendo robot of nothingness. It's so predictable. You know everything that's going to come out of their mouth before they even say it. It's like watching the same black comedy over and over and over again, but without even a laugh track. And so, if there's no admitting of fault, if there's no acceptance of responsibility, if there are excuses or projection, or, I mean, when you were a kid, Ashley, if you made a mistake or did something wrong, and your father said, you did this, and you say, no, I didn't, I don't remember that at all, what would happen? Would he say, <laughs> oh, well, that's fine then? No, you'd no. get beaten up, right? Right. Right. So live by the sword, die by the sword. If you don't let children get away with saying they don't remember, how the hell do you get away with it as an adult? So as far as I don't want to give up on family members, 
Is that coming from you? That's why I asked you, what's the positive in your relationship with your father? And I can certainly see the negatives. And so in terms of like, what's the benefit to you being in contact with your father? You know, doesn't seem to be much. I can certainly see the negatives. So from a rational calculation standpoint, maybe it would be better to not. I don't know. And talk about it with a therapist uh, in my suggestion. But as to why the question is not even allowed to be asked within your mind, well, that's your father. Your father doesn't want you asking that question. What does your boyfriend who wants to be a psychologist think of all of this? Uh, um, I know that uh, it's um, he's conflicted as well um, because, uh, you know, my dad really likes him and um, they have, uh, you know, all the history aside just from, I know it's not, you can't divide things like this, but just from, you know, their time together, they, um, they get along really nicely. But at the same time, my boyfriend, uh, of course knows about, um, you know, what my dad has done to my family. And he, you know, recently told me that he was also struggling with, um, you know, not knowing how to have a relationship with my dad while also acknowledging all of the hurt that he's caused us. Um, and they, so I don't think he has an answer just yet, but I do know it bothers him. They get along? They get along? Yeah. Your boyfriend gets along well with the man who beat his wife as a child and terrified her and failed to intervene when she was being exploited by an older boy and failed to intervene when she became addicted to drugs given to her by that older boy. Your boyfriend just gets along with him. What the hell is his family like? (laughs) I think to ask that question is to answer it, right? Yes. Right. Yeah, he's not here, but I think we can all understand. Mm -hmm. But how can he get along with him? knowing what he did to you, what your father did to you, and what he's currently doing to your brother and sister-in-law. That is one charming dad. Yeah, yeah, he definitely has some sort of... A lot of charm, a lot of likability, tendency to violence and manipulation. Huh! Where have I heard those standards before? Right. And how are you feeling now? Um. Happy you called? <laughs> Thrilled. <laughs> Thank goodness I called in. Boy, life would have been way too simple otherwise. <laughs> I'm just actually like, I'm amazed at what I'm using to distract myself. What do you mean? Um, oh, just my studies and everything else. Oh, I thought you meant you were paying Tetris other- as we talked, but. Right. Oh, no, no, no. Um, no, but by, you know, trying to fix other people's problems. 
Oh, yeah. No, I get it. Heal the world. Let them know it's Christmas time and don't look at the family portrait. Right? We all understand, right? (laughs) All the problems of the world are way out there. I'm going to sacrifice myself and go out and conquer all of the world's ills rather than say, look 10 feet around me. Yeah. No, I know that one. I, I know that one. The big problem in my life is postmodernism. <laughs> I like to differ. <sighs> yeah, I'd have to agree with you on that. <laughs> yeah. You said your father was had to work very hard, right? Mm-hmm. Your father had to work very hard. And you're setting yourself up to work very hard. Right? Yep. Your father was pulled away from the family because of the need to provide. And you're setting yourself up for a situation where you're going to end up some degree in debt or behind the curve without much money and wanting to become a mom. And you need someone, Ashley, just as your brother does, to stand up for you. I'll tell you this. Can I tell you a secret about yourself? Oh, that's so annoying, but let me do it anyway, (laughs) if you don't mind. Sure. (laughs) You are desperate for your boyfriend to do what I'm doing. You are desperate for your boyfriend to stand up and say, hell no, I'm not going to go and break bread with the guy who abused you as a child and is unrepentant. Fuck no. And your brother is desperate for you to say, I am not going to pretend to like a guy who's threatening to kick you out when your wife is pregnant. Everybody's like, everybody's waiting for someone to just come along and state the completely fucking obvious. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, in the moment, see, this is the thing. I'm just saying this to boyfriends and men out there. In the moment, your girlfriend is really happy if you appease the nasty people in her life. In the moment, she's really, really happy. Ooh, what a relief. Ooh, don't have to brush this one under the rug. Don't have to deal with this one for now. Yay, let's get back to cake. But deep down, deep, like deep, like Barry White down, deep down, she's desperate for you. To state the completely fucking obvious. Which is, this guy is an unrepentant abuser of my girlfriend, me no likey. And she's going to be like, oh, that's terrible. This makes my life very complicated. But thank you for anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Yeah, yeah. Come on. You know that, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know that. Mm-hmm. Don't. This is for European men regarding the migrant crisis. Migrants, kind of a rapey culture, me no likey. Oh, that's terrible. That means we must have. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) We can't say it ourselves because congeniality. But no, you need someone to to stand up and say, sorry. I mean, from where I stand, from what you've told me, Ashley, this guy's Mm -hmm. an unrepentant bad dude, like seriously bad dude. 
You know, the guy yeah. who cheats on his wife bringing home a sexually transmitted disease is now suddenly concerned and puts GPS on a car because she might be having an affair. <laughs> yeah. The guy, did, let me ask you this, Ashley, mm -hmm. did your big courageous father ever pick on somebody his own size or was it mostly women and children? Oh, mostly women and children. Yeah. A big, big, brave guy. Yeah. Beats up his mm -hmm. wife and uh, hits his children. Yeah, big, big, strong guy. Big, big, manly fucking guy. Picking on women and children. What a hero. What a contemptible coward. And bully. And the pattern continues. Maybe it wasn't sleep apnea. Maybe it's just what happens when you act like Macbeth. <laughs> Maybe it's just a guilty conscience. Which is well-deserved and well-earned. And the yeah. reason why I'm guessing, Ashley, that he won't acknowledge or apologize is that no restitution is possible. People double down when they can't back down. Mm. I mean, my mom made the right decision. She made a wise decision. No restitution is possible. You know, they take, as they say, it takes seven times as many good things as bad things for a relationship to even stay even, to stay on an even keel. Which means if you have a bad week with someone, you need seven really good weeks just to make up for it. Because we are much more sensitive to negatives than positives as human beings. It's not because we're pessimistic or negative or as a whole. It's just that's what keeps us alive. Mm -hmm. And so if you have... One bad year with someone, you need seven good years just to break even. And if you have 10 bad years with someone, you can't live long enough to make it even. And if you have 20, well, you understand. <laughs> you can do the math. And it's different too, because these are ratios with adult relationships. But when you are a child, it's not just 10 years randomly. It's like your 10 first formative years. So if you're mean, cruel, indifferent, neglectful to your child for the first 10 years, I believe, like it's psychologically unrecoverable. Because you then have to be a perfect person for the next 70 years to make up for it. Even if we don't count the sort of first impression thing, which I think makes it even more powerful. So then by the time your child is 80, <laughs> right, <laughs> and you're 120, you just broke even. And this is why you don't treat your children badly. Because it takes so little to become unrecoverable. It's bad enough adult to adult, right? It's bad enough adult to adult, but parent to child, it does not take a long time at all for the relationship to become unrecoverable. Everyone can stand around like the Japanese economy and just pretend that something's happening when it's not. And everybody can still call each other up and exchange the news and the weather and the gossip. And every now and then there'll be explosions and people just roll their eyes. And But in terms of actually having a bond, actually trusting people, my concern with you, Ashley, here is your relationship to your brother and your boyfriend. Your boyfriend in particular, because that's a chosen relationship. You need to be able to trust him. And you know what that means? That means he's got to stand guard on your weakest ground. He has to stand guard on your weakest ground. And your weakest ground is your father. Well, 
maybe your mom, but <laughs> one of them or both, right? Right. Probably both. And we all need right. this. We need people to watch our backs. I have a tendency to be too nice. Trust me, I have people in my life who watch my back <laughs> and tell me when I'm being too nice. And that's good. That's good. That's good. Because we all need people to put the armor on our soft spots, right? Because it's a harsh world out there. And if your boyfriend is glad-handing with the man who abused you and is currently abusing the first fetus in the next generation, yeah, he's got to stand tall, man. He's got to stand up. And you'll hate him in the moment and love him in the long run. Because he'll provoke a decision that you don't want to make, but you desperately need to make. Right. Because whether you're a mother, a wife, or a careerist, what matters is that you have good people in your life, Ashley. You don't compromise on that. You don't compromise on that. I don't care what history you have. I don't care what religion you have. I don't care if they're the last person with the last scrap of food in a starving world. You do not compromise on whether good people are in your life or not, particularly when you get married and particularly when you become a mother. It's like, it's bad to smoke, but at least only you suffer the consequences and the taxpayers when you can't afford to pay for your health care. But if you smoke and you're pregnant, you're an asshole. And you're doing extraordinary wrong because the baby doesn't have a choice. You can have toxic relationships in your life and that's bad. But you want to become a mom, you clean that shit up. Right? You don't get drunk. You don't do drugs. You don't smoke because you're pregnant. And when you become a mother, you get pregnant, you decide to become a mom, you have to clean up your relationships. Because you didn't have a choice where you were born, Ashley, and I'm sorry you were born into this mess, but you damn well have a choice where your son or your daughter are going to be born. Yep, absolutely. I really appreciate it. This has um, given me a lot to think about. Good. I wish you the best. And, you know, whatever you decide to do with your father, I hope that you will engage with a good therapist about this because uh, it is a, it's a challenging situation to be in. And I'm so sorry. I mean, you you shouldn't have to face this. I mean, you really shouldn't. But, you know, if it's any consolation, men got drafted to go to war and civilians got bombed. This is still better than that. <laughs> That's all I can tell you. Right. All I can yeah. tell you. All right. Will you keep me posted? Yes, absolutely. All right. My very best. Thank you so much for the conversation. Thank you. All right. Up next, we have Emily. Emily wrote in and said, I'm looking for advice on how to balance being outspoken about the direction I think my field should be headed while remaining employable. I live in a state where the opioid epidemic runs wild just as it does in much of the country. While pursuing my undergraduate degrees in psychology and neuroscience, I had plans to become a clinician. However, an advisor recommended that I look into public health as an alternative. I was immediately sucked in. The focus on prevention rather than treatment resonated with me because I believe that with intervention on the front end, maybe we can stop the cycle of death and tragedy associated with substance use. So I went for it and pursued my master's in public health. 
I foolishly thought my tendency towards market justice would enhance discussion with my social justice peers and result in richer conversations and more sturdy solutions. Instead, I was cast as the unfeeling, judgmental, and, everyone's favorite, racist white woman. I escaped grad school, and the characterizations of my peers did not affect my job prospects at all, which was encouraging. I now have a platform from which I might be able to influence the direction of substance use prevention in my county, but I am afraid of alienating the network I have spent the last year building because my beliefs about prevention may appear radical to them. How do I push past my fear and become a leader? That's from Emily. Hey, Emily. How are you doing tonight? Good. How are you? Good. Always nice to chat with a racist white woman. So thank you very much for uh, for calling in. <laughs> Glad to know where we yeah, stand right up front. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. So <laughs> I escaped grad school. <laughs> like, I didn't, didn't graduate. I chewed my way through the linoleum. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I, I mean, I got my master's, but it was definitely an ordeal trying to glean any actual education out of it. Um, because the majority of the professors are so left-leaning that they just sit there and spew rhetoric rather than actually teach anything. So right, that was fun. So you got some bad references, but you got a job anyway. Is that how I understood that last bit? Um, yes. Well, the professor that I, I primarily built a relationship um, with I think was one of the few that was a little bit more moderate. Um, she actually has a background in business. Um, she was a hospital CEO. So she comes at public health from a perspective that I think matches my own a little bit more. She, she's actually is, had some responsibility and some capacity yeah. for failure. Okay. Yeah. And right. like everybody else is like pretty much purely academic and never really been in the field beyond that. Um, and so she really helped me to build sort of community relationships rather than academic ones. And I think that's really what landed me, obviously, my jobs now. Right. Now, what would you like to say about substance use prevention that you're concerned might get your blowback? I think it's more so my focus in particular, my interest really is in substance use prevention amongst youth. And a lot of... Oh, so of, you mean border control? Well, yeah, that would, that would be one. Um, like the welfare system <laughs> is a big issue um, because really what's protective against substance use, especially in, in adolescence, is a strong family unit. And then obviously... Oh, man. Like that, not coming Wait, the you, I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh, Emily, because this is your life. Yeah. Yeah. But you want to go to a bunch of leftists and say, let's strengthen the family? Why not just throw yeah. women into the giant chewing pit of patriarchy while you're at I it? I know. I know. Because everybody but knows when you're talking about a strong family unit, what you mean is you need yeah. strong fathers. Yeah. Exactly. You, you, need, you need dumb you women do. to stop putting out for idiot men. Yeah. Yes. And... Oh, so, yeah. So this really will be your farewell broadcast to the planet as you walk yeah. right into the chewing blades of, of leftist uh, paranoia, right? Pretty much, yeah. I'm sorry, Emily. We've really spent the last 60 years trying to destroy the nuclear family. And now <laughs> you're saying that, I don't know, Churchill, let's go resurrect the Nazis and start again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much is what I'm trying to do. Oof. But... 
Now, when you talk about the need for fathers, how 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 does that go, or have you yet? Um, I haven't. It hasn't really gone anywhere yet. I guess. Um, and I don't know. Um, I guess it's more of like individual choice market justice sort of an issue for me where we need people to start seeing how their decisions affect the community around them. Um, so I guess where I was hoping to start with people is, is building that empowerment into people in the community. Does that make sense? Boy, you are, you really are used to using a bunch of academic jargon to sidestep and dodge and fog. Yeah. And <laughs> tell me, tell me what you mean. Think about your impact on the, I don't know what that means. So what practical stuff would you want to put in place to achieve these goals? Oh, um, so without really pushing that we need stronger fathers, um, one of the programs that I worked on before is pretty simple but shown to be fairly effective. And it's called the um, Family Checkup Program. And it's used in um, a lot of communities to get parents to build their management skills with their families. Um, So it's like, how do you communicate with your spouse and with your children to make sure that your kids are where they're supposed to be doing what they should be doing? Um, not hanging out with, with, you know, rowdy crowds that are going to get them involved in substance use in the first place. Hmm. And so I guess that's where I was thinking of starting with promoting family bonds rather than saying fathers in particular. Cause I mean, that can come from any part of the family or any adults in your life in general. It doesn't necessarily have to be a family member. Um, so building a safe community for, for kids. Yeah, I remember when I was a kid, I never saw this in England, but I, when I came to Canada, there used to be Channel 7 in Buffalo, mm-hmm. which there always seemed to be significant parts of Buffalo that were on fire. I just I just remember that fire in Cheektowaga or whatever it was. And lots of monster truck rallies. rallies. We've turned Buffalo Auditorium into a mud pit, pit, pit. And what they, what they used to say at 11 o'clock, when the news came on, they used to say the same thing. They say, "It's eleven o'clock. Do you know where your children are?" Yeah. <laughs> and I remember thinking, like, why? Why is the TV asking such an obvious question? <laughs> yeah. It's cold outside. Did you remember to put a jacket on? It's raining. Did you remember to bring an umbrella? Like, of course you should know where your children are. It's eleven o'clock at night. It's a school night. Why is the TV telling you this? <laughs> this is not a good situation. But so is it family communication? I, I'm still trying to parse out what the elevator pitch is for what you want to do. Um, I guess maybe I'm getting too specific with the family. So I guess it's more on a broad scale of promoting the idea that 
we need to give people a strong foundation from which to build. So that means um, making the right choices in partners, making the right choices in careers, um, not living in places where substance use is more rampant. I mean, it's everywhere, but um, I guess because what they, what, what a lot of where I work now focuses on is how do we get more people connected to the welfare system? And I think that's <laughs> the wrong direction. I guess. So you've got, you're basically working with a bunch of fiat currency drug dealers. Yeah. Yeah, going to hook you up, man. Just step on down to this office, fill out this form, and have five children by 19 different guys. Yeah. And we'll hook you right up. You'll become dependent. It'll be excellent. You'll yeah. you'll get free money, and we'll get a justification because we're handing out that free money. See, drugs create jobs not just for drug dealers, but for drug suppliers and drug growers, fiat currency, and taxation systems, and social services. Wow. And uh, I mean, it's a coalition. So there are people that represent um, other parts of the community. So like the police force comes in. Um, some of the private private businesses will attend and they'll they'll fund projects that they find. Usable. So that's where I think. If we but Emily, I still don't know what you want to do. <laughs> I know I'm confused. I think I'm I'm nervous and I'm like panicking. no, that's fine. Um, if you don't want to be specific, if you I mean that's fine. I just I don't want to waste the time if if we're not yeah. going to get there. But if you do want to help, sort of clear it up. I mean, a, a friend of mine is working on um, trying to bring better parenting programs to the inner cities, and you know, but he's an experienced entrepreneur, so he's got his pitch down pat, and he's getting the money, and he's getting yeah. the all this kind of stuff going, and it's magnificent stuff. I'm enormously impressed, and, and say proud. Of, you know, I'm just giving him some help on the side, but it's uh, it's a lot of positive adjectives, you know, like to build community strength and blah, 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 yeah. but that's sort of like I want a business that satisfies customers and makes money. It's like, yeah, that's kind of a given, but. How is the yeah. question? Yeah. Okay. Let me just reorganize myself for a minute. I got so excited about talking to you that I've like literally drawn a blank now. So in just two seconds. No, that's good. Listen, you always have to pitch when it's difficult to pitch. Yeah. Because either you don't care, in which case you're not motivated, or it's something really important, in which case you're nervous. So. <laughs> So if someone's going to give you a million bucks, what are you going to spend it on? What, what, are your, what are your takeaways? I would spend it on, like, for this specifically, like, on substance use prevention. Yeah, what well, whatever your big dream is in the field. Okay. Um, I would spend it on projects that give people the choice to move out of situations that they're in. So, um, placing a focus on
Um, sorry, and now I've gotten nervous. Um, <laughs> That's all right. Yeah, the moment you say placing the focus on, that yeah, is not an action item, no, right? No, it's not. Because you're looking at sort of market solutions, right? So, right. so you could say so, you could teach uh, you could teach peaceful parenting techniques to people. Yeah. You right. So, so something which is like okay. So your child does this. Your instinct would be to hit the child or to yell at the child. You know what are alternatives that you could use? Uh, how can you make your house uh, more child-proof so that you don't have to hit children for putting forks in electrical sockets and stuff? Like, what can you do to be a more peaceful parent? There's lots of strategies, and you could do training classes and and so on, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. So that, I mean, yeah, that's really what I guess I'm trying to say. I'm just not articulating well. So I would put it into projects that are similar to that, that teach parents or future parents skills that they need to raise their children, obviously in a peaceful way. And especially when they enter adolescence, to find a balance between keeping track of where they are and promoting independence. So those Okay, so are keeping track of where they are and promoting independence, those are challenging, right? You don't want to bubble wrap your kids, but you don't want to, you know, let them completely twist in the wind so how would you approach that um so there are a lot of well a few and i'm not an expert in what the actual techniques themselves are um but there are resources out there um that some clinicians use that teach those kinds of skills as far and so you would purchase, you know, the programs and the training that those professionals have developed um, for teaching what things you need to be monitoring, what things you need to look out for, what are the red flags if your child's coming home after curfew, what do you do to correct that? All right. So if there was some some mom comes to you and says, you know, Emily, my my boy is 15. He doesn't listen to me. He's disrespectful. He sleeps all day. He's not doing his schoolwork and he's just hanging out with the wrong crowd. And every time I try and bring it up, he just yells at me and storms out of the house. Like, what should I do? What would you say? I would say that they probably need another form of communication like another line of communication rather than confrontation and anger but coming from a place of discussing the importance of of the ground rules that you've set and why why it's important to be productive and not laze around all day and to be where you said you were going to be at a certain time and and Rather than just saying, do it because I told you to. Yeah, but he says, uh, so the role play, he he says that, uh, I mean, I'm on welfare. So who am I to tell him he's got responsibilities and he's got to do stuff? Right. I don't get up and go to work. Right. True. Well, then I guess that would be then you. Go get a job, honey. (laughs) You need to set the example. Yeah. She needs to set the example. And that would be. You know, probably not advice that would be heeded by her, I guess. Yeah. See, this is the thing. Like, if you're handing out money and advice, it's pretty hard to figure out who's there for the advice. (laughs) You know, like, come come and take this course and you'll get welfare. Well, that may not be the most motivated listeners. 
Yeah. And I, you know, for those kinds of questions, I'd be like, okay, does he have a man in the house? Does he have a man in his life yeah. who he respects? And if not, why not? And and can you get one? And why, in what case are you making that he's got to be responsible? Have you modeled responsibility for him? Have you hit him? Uh, do, have you ever done drugs in front of him? Do you smoke? Do you drink to excess? Have you given him bad role? Like, Rather than, because you know what parents do is they act, some parents, right, they act terribly and then they just blame their kids for doing exactly what they've been doing. Hey, my kids turned out just like me and I don't like it. It's terrible. Yeah. Can you fix it without me changing anything at all? Those are big challenges. Mm-hmm. Now, have you uh, thought about, uh, rather than dealing with other people's difficult children, have you thought about having your own and raising them well? Yeah. Um, so I'm engaged. We're going to get married next year. And then starting on babies after that. Well, congratulations. That's fantastic. Good for you. Good for you. So this remains somewhat theoretical in that you're probably leaving the field relatively soon, right? Um, yeah. So I guess, so what I do right now, um, primarily is I work for a a coalition. Um, and this part, so my full-time job is a research position. Um, and we, we, my job there is to analyze data, um, on their clinic, um, which is not really what I, I enjoy, but the coalition work obviously doesn't really pay that well. Um, cause it's nonprofit work. Um, so my idea was sort of to start the family, maybe do this part time, um, from home. A lot of it can be done from home. Um, that way I'm still sort of working, but I can still be at home as well. And then once they're in school, I can get back into the workforce a little bit more seriously. And do you know how many kids you want? Um, I, my vision is two, um, but we've discussed that since we're pretty dead set on wanting a boy and a girl, if we don't get that, we might try for another one. Wait. Is that my conscience or is that a negotiation from the fiance? Oh, he he said in the background, we have to save the human race. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for five. Yeah, easy peasy. Um, but um, so, okay, let's say you have three, right? Just mm-hmm. for sake of argument, right? Yeah. And how old are you now? Oh, did I just ask a totally rude question or did the line go down? I said- 25? 25, sorry, okay. So you're getting married, maybe you want to do stuff like a year or whatever, maybe six months a year before you... uh, Yeah. Before you have kids, right? So then you have three, a year or two apart, you know, there's your five to six years right there. And then you want to wait till the youngest goes to school. But of course, if you're in a neighborhood that's not great, you may not want to have your kids in government schools because it's kind of a toxic, horrifying environment, particularly if you're white. They're just going to be called racist and colonialists and stuff like that. It's going to be pretty brutal. So maybe you'll end up homeschooling or maybe there'll be something else. But uh, so we're talking probably 10 years till you're back in the workforce full time at a minimum, yeah. right? Yeah, right, definitely. And then you might find, of course, that being at home with your kids is so much fun that why would you want to put them in school and go back to work? Because they're a blast, right? Mm -hmm. And the part-time thing is interesting. I mean, if you want to have, you're going to have three kids, you know, under five, I think that the odds of you getting a lot of part-time work done 
might be it might be a little <laughs> optimistic if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. They don't, you know, they cancel each other out when they're older, but it's kind of a <laughs> you know, it's a multiple it's a multiplication when they're young and it's a subtraction yeah. when they're older. And uh you know, if 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 you have this other responsibility at the same time, that can be that can be a real drag. Like you end up not really getting much work done, but also not really enjoying your kids as much. See, if you can just focus on your kids, it's great. If you have to focus on your kids and you're getting an email with something that needs to be done and you've got to do something later and like then it's becomes it, it, it's not satisfying for work and it's not satisfying for parenting either, which is sort of why I say, if at all possible, when you are home with your kids, be home with your kids. If you're being a mom, be a mom, right? Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't say, well, I'm going to go do a job, but I'm going to breastfeed part-time in the office. And I don't know <laughs> about bringing the office. It's not going to make you that much money, but it's going to really interfere, right. I think, in the enjoyment that you have. You, you never want your kids to be like in the way of your life. You're like they are your life. I mean, that's that's the deal that you, you make when you become a parent. So uh -huh. my suggestion would be, if you can swing it financially and so on, which I'm sure you can, then um, the part-time stuff. I don't know. I mean, look, I say I've been a stay-at-home dad, but my work has the work that I do has not interfered very much with with being right uh, with being a, a father. So, I mean, I understand that people say, "Well, yes, but you are stay-at-home dad and you have this job as well," but it didn't interfere very much. I've really tried to work and schedule. I'm a night owl, so when my daughter's asleep, I can get work done then, and it's all different kinds of stuff. Now, maybe you'll be able to do that, but also I really like what I do. I love what I do. So yeah. it's not the same. Uh, so, so yeah, yeah, if you're going to spend 10 years, I don't know, out of the workforce, then maybe you can just stick around, you know, get your mat leave and then figure out what you want from there. But uh, it doesn't mm -hmm. sound like this is going to be a very long-term problem if you want to have kids, right? That's true. Yeah. And Yay. I guess like the pressure <laughs> to keep working comes from like my mom not being very happy with having been a stay-at-home mom when she was younger. Why wasn't so your mom happy? Emily, what did you do to that poor oh. woman to make her unhappy with being a stay-at-home oh. mom? How did you I treat her so badly? That, sorry? I was an angel. And <laughs> I'm sure you were. No, why didn't she problem. like it? Um, well, she married my dad when she was 19 and she had... No, she met my dad. She got married at 20 and she had my brother at 21 and then me three years later. And I think she feels like she never got to figure out who she was before she got married. And she always is talking about how it is unfortunate to give up a career and then your kids go to college and you have nothing. You have nothing? She feels what do you like mean you have nothing? Does. You have mean. kids who are off to college and you get to spend more quality time with your husband. What do you, does she not love your dad? Uh, mm, I don't know that she's entirely happy with their relationship. <laughs> oh, you're such a nice young lady. What do you mean? Come on. Be bold no, and frank with me. She doesn't really like my dad, it seems, very much now. Why is that? I, I didn't really notice it much growing up. But, but why why doesn't really she like him? She thinks that he doesn't listen and they don't she doesn't really seem to want to spend time with him. But then she'll complain that they don't spend time together. And so I'm not really sure what the catalyst for that is, but she just doesn't seem 
like they have much of a camaraderie together. Did she seem to enjoy being a mom? Because if she said, well, your kids go off and you're left with nothing. I don't know. Yeah, like I remember, especially like when I was younger, she was at home. You know, we got to do a lot of things that my friends didn't really get to do because their parents worked a lot. So, you know, we'd go to the pool every day all summer and and we had a lot of fun. And I, I don't remember ever having a time when she seemed dissatisfied um, with with being with us. But it was when I got older, you know, I turned 18, 19 and I went to college. She started saying things like this a little bit more like, Make sure you get your education and make sure you get your career started because you don't want to end up like me. End up like you? What does that mean? Does, does she think that if you get educated, you're automatically going to pick a man you love? I guess so. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't follow. <laughs> I think because um, she she didn't go to college and she married my dad pretty quickly. Um out of high school, well, a couple years. And so I think she thinks that if she had gone to college first, um, she would have built a career that she likes and, and not have. So what she does now, she went to school, she went to college at the same time I did actually. Um, and she just kind of works a string of jobs that she's not very satisfied with. Wait, and, what does she take in college? Uh, I think it was human resources or something. Oh. Not very useful. <laughs> oh, don't even get me started on this mother-daughter yeah. combo of draining social resources to not work in the field. Don't even get me started. No, so she took yeah. human resources, and what has she been doing with that? Because um, now she has the college that she always dreamed of, so now she's figured out who she is and all the problems have been solved. Because Lord knows she's not just a woman who likes to complain, right? So she finally went back to college. <laughs> she did the human resources stuff and has that playing out for her. Not well. Um, what a shock. So she had a job that she liked for a little while at, um, it was like a medical supply company. And, and she did a lot of like the human resourcing stuff there, but they relocated um, to Montana, which is not a place that my mother and father were able to move to. So she had to just give up on that job. And then she just took the first thing that was offered to her because she didn't want to go back through putting the effort into finding a job that she liked. So she's in what, her late forties now? No, mid forties. She's, she's, um, she's 50. She's 50. Okay. So at the age, so in her mid forties or late forties, she went back to school with all the wisdom of her experience and she found it to be extraordinarily unsatisfying and a massive waste of resources, time and effort. But she mm -hmm. feels that she would have made an excellent choice about going to school when she was 20. Mm -hmm. Is that yeah. the fantasy? <laughs> Definitely. Does that make any logical sense to you at all? Well, I made really bad decisions when I was 50, but boy, if I'd been able to make those decisions when I was 20, they'd have been fantastic. Yeah, that doesn't really make much logical sense, no. And was her husband her first boyfriend? No. All right. Second, third? I don't know a whole lot about her life in high school as she does not like to discuss it, but she has implied that she's had several boyfriends in high school. And then I'm not sure if she dated anyone after graduating in between meeting my dad. Um, 
And I will mention my dad is 11 years older than her. Um, so they met when he was at the stage of life where he was ready to settle down and have babies like pretty quickly. And like I said, she was sort of on the younger side and she felt like she had them too soon, but felt pressured into having them when she did because he was 30. She felt pressured into having them when she did. What yeah. does that mean? She chose to marry this guy. Yep. I'm sorry. I'm, I was just, because I don't get this wish where I don't, I'm not responsible for stuff. <laughs> right. So she dated a bunch of guys. She decided yeah. to, to marry a guy who was older. Now, why did she decide to marry a guy who was older, Emily, do you think? Because I think I know. Um, my theory has always been that her father died when she was four. So she's always been sort of trying to replace that. Yeah, it's not that. Okay, what is it? Well, quick question, Emily. Uh-huh. Do guys who are 20 have more money or do guys who are 31 have more money? 31? Yeah, pretty much, right? Yeah. So, if you marry a guy who's 31, he's just going to have resources, right? Yeah. Because he's already done his education, he's already started his career, he's already got some savings, he might even have a house. Yeah. Not a lot of 20-year-olds in that particular boat, if I remember my 20s correctly. <laughs> no, not, not many. Right. So, she wanted the money. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that that's all she wanted, but that's probably one of the main reasons why she went with an older guy. I mean, we could come up with all this Freudian yeah. stuff if we want, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it's about the Benjamins more than the Freudians. Yeah, probably. All probably right. True. So, then she wanted a guy who had money, but the price of having a guy who has money is he wants kids sooner. Like the 20-year-old doesn't want kids because he's got to start his career, but the 31-year-old wants kids because he's already had his career started. Right. So I'm not sure what she's complaining about. I mean, maybe I'm missing something here, but she got well paid to have kids when she was young. Yeah. Like, I don't know what it is she thinks she missed out on. Oh, this is the stuff that's fed. It's the general grass is greener discontent crap that's fed to women as a whole. Which is, yeah. uh, well, you don't want to be dependent on a man and you want to go and find yourself Julia Roberts, eat, drink, pray, love or whatever the hell that stupid movie is called. You got to go out and find yourself Sandra Bullock, 28 days style. I mean, you got to, you got to go and explore yeah. and you got to travel and you got to live and you've got to grab the gusto and seize the carp and bang everything with a scrotum and then you'll be fulfilled and wonderful and ready to, it's all just a bunch of garbage. Yeah. It's all just a bunch of garbage. There's a creepy little Woody Allen bit about, uh, you know, the guy who, you know, he's married, but he looks at his neighbor who's like got a hot tub and girls over and he's like, oh, that's the life. Whereas the guy who's got the hot tub and girls over, he's lonely. And he looks over at the guy sitting down for a nice meal with his family and saying, oh, that's the life. You know, people can always sell you this discontent that there's some fantastic, mm-hmm. wonderful thing over there. But unfortunately, Something happened, life intervened. It's not your fault, but you just didn't. And this, what's communicated down from the boomers to the younger generation. I know your mom's a little bit uh, past, post-boomer, but not far. <laughs> but this thing that's passed down, like don't be dependent on a man and have a career and get educated and, and have your babies later. This all garbage. It's all mm-hmm. garbage and it's not anything that's been empirically tested. It's not anything that's been empirically verified. It's just a bunch of anti-reproductive leftist garbage that is designed to have women not have kids. 
And it's promoted by governments, of course, because if you're out there working and not having kids, you're paying taxes rather than requiring the government to provide resources for your children. It's just a bunch of socially manipulative leftist garbage that makes women spend their entire lives feeling like Jamie Dornan is just around the corner, but they can't get to him because their pudgy husband's in the way. And it's like, no, that's not reality. That's not reality. You make your bed, you lie in it. You make choices, you live with them, and you never, ever give up ownership of your choices. Of course, there's a huge relief in doing that in the short run. Well, I'm not responsible. It just happened to me, and I was pressured into... Why on earth, Emily, would you tell your children you were pressured into having them? That is a terrible thing to say to your children. You can write it in a diary and have it destroyed, you know, when you die. You know, like those guys with the medical bracelets that say, delete my browser history, right? But why? it's absolutely wrong to tell children that they weren't wanted in that moment or they weren't wanted at that time or... I didn't really want you, but I was pressured into having you. What a terrible thing to say to your children. Terrible thing to say to your children. And this idea that you can just give up ownership. Well, I was young and I didn't really want to have kids, but I was pressured and you should do things differently. Don't end up like me. It's like, own your choices. Own your choices, women. You decided to go for the Benjamins. And that meant you had to have children sooner because your husband's older. And that's a responsible thing to do because you don't want a father who's 20 years older or, you know, or or who's 40 necessarily if you're only 30 because, you know, younger parents are slightly better if all other things being equal. But your mom made choices and now she's discontented with everything. And why is she discontented with everything? Because she's not taken ownership for her life. And if you don't take ownership for your life, then you get to blame other people and the only price is perpetual discontentedness. That, that's what you'll end up with. Perpetual discontentedness because you're not really there as part of your own life. You're not responsible for your own life. You blame other people. It makes you feel better in the moment. But you never end up with happiness taking that path. Mm-hmm. So don't yeah. take that path. That's really what I'm saying. Yeah. So I think. And you got educated. You got a master's degree. Yeah. And now you're going to yeah. go make babies. Yep. So society wasted a whole bunch of money on your master's degree. Yeah. Well, I it was I worked through it, so I I got most of it paid for. Um Oh no, I'm not talking about you paid for it. Oh. <laughs> do, do you well, remember yeah. how do you remember how you would I guess Hang on, hang on. Yeah. <laughs> this is kind of ironic in a way, right? Do you remember earlier Emily we were talking about reminding people of the consequences that their choices have on their community? Yes. So if they had trained a man to do what you do or trained a woman to do what you do who doesn't want to have kids. Yeah. Then there'd be someone doing it, right? True. But now there won't be because society trained you and now you're going to go have kids, right? Right. So society is down one social worker. Um, yeah. And so I'm not saying this to make you feel bad, obviously. I just no. – I want to – I want for everyone – if you want to have kids – have your kids and then go do what you want to do outside of having kids. Because mm-hmm. otherwise you get trained and society pours hundreds of thousands of dollars into training you because nobody pays the whole cost of their own education anymore. So right. Society pours hundreds of thousands of dollars into educating you. And then you go chase toddlers with leaky boobs, <laughs> which, you know, is a coarse way of putting it. But I mean, it's, it's kind of true, right? Yeah. And that's why I'm saying sort of, Forget about, I'm just saying this as a whole, forget about this, oh, I got to get educated. No, find your man, settle down, have your kids, 
And then you've got a life uninterrupted to go add even additional value to right. your society. And maybe, maybe the value you're going to add to your society is you're going to encourage your own children to have kids when they're in their early 20s. And then you're available as a grandmother to help transmit values and make everyone happy and be available as a resource so the parents don't get too exhausted and bring a wonderful extended family bond to the whole situation. There's massive value in being there right. to raise children and to have children and to help people who are raising and having children. Massive value. We all want these big, giant, globe-spanning, revolutionary things or, or big impacts in general societal terms. The same thing with The Last Caller. But I'm just saying, this is my very first novel that I wrote. No, first novel I wrote as an adult. It's called Revolutions, and it's about a Russian revolutionary who's trying to decide between having a revolution and having children, which one is going to be the way to go. And as it turns out, it was uh, not just a... Um, story about him, but it was a story about me in the future. So um, that's my my suggestion is, uh, yeah, forget about all of these complexities. You don't have to worry about pushing past your fear and become a leader because you've become a leader in your own household. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Very true. Fantastic. Well, congratulations. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful wedding and I Thank wish you, you much fertility. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Emily. All my best to your fiance too. Thank you. Thanks, Yvonne. <laughs> Okay, next we have David. David wrote in and said, For most of my adult life, I have been single and have found the whole dating culture here in the United States taxing and meaningless. Because of my lack of success and compatibility with American women, I decided to try international dating sites. After exploring around for a while, I finally met a girl who I feel could be the one. She is beautiful, intelligent, and we share many of the same values and interests. But due to our situation, the only way we will be able to live together or truly spend time together is if I marry her. How can I be so sure that she is truly the right one to spend my life with if we can't spend any time together in person before marrying? That's from David. David, how's it going? It's good, Stefan. How are you? I'm well, I'm well, I'm well. Where's she from? Uh, Venezuela. Venezuela. Well, she lives in Ecuador now, but she's, she's like a refugee from, from socialism in Venezuela, right? Pretty much. Right. She um she got out about 3 years ago and now she works for a pretty successful company um selling flowers internationally to uh, event planners and floral shops. But she's she's originally from Venezuela and she got a degree in civil engineering. And when she started to notice that cab drivers were making more than her, she knew thought something was going wrong. So that's um, pretty much why she left. But uh, she still like has this sort of survivor's guilt since uh, she, re uh, she sends money home to her family and like every paycheck. She's living bare minimum for herself. And ha you met her on a, a, an international dating site. Is that right? That's right. Right, right. And how long have you been communicating? Um, something around seven or eight months. Now, the inevitable question, which I'm going to just ask so the listeners don't scream at me in the comment section, is how do you know that she's legit? Uh, how do I know that she's legit? Very good question. Um, well, because stupid me, I probably actually at early in the relationship, I did offer to support her and help her in her plight, but, um, she refused. 
she's very, very self-reliant and independent on that, in that regard. She doesn't want anyone's help with her family. She feels like it's her responsibility. And if, as far as you might think, like, how do I know she's a real person? We actually do Skype dates and we, uh, um, uh, talk online a lot. So. And how do you know that she doesn't have a boyfriend or anything like that? Uh, at that point, I guess I just have to say, I trust her. Okay. Because she does tell me about just, uh, I know what you're thinking. Um, but like she told me about her whole dating history and it just sounds to me like she's a very genuine person. I don't think she's the type who would sleep around if that's what you might think. She's uh, very sexually conservative. She's been actually, as to your credit to her, like her values, she's very selective in the men that she would even consider being with. Right. Right. Okay. And why haven't you not been able to visit? Um, just a simple fact of I found I didn't have a passport. So I uh, recently got a passport and I bought a ticket and I will be visiting her for the first time in June. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. I know it doesn't take that long to get a passport, but it was, uh, it was started off just like, uh, I, well, like I, I joined the dating site and initially I found it very, very surprising the amount of response I got. I was, well, I mean, not too surprising being an American. I imagine a lot of them were just looking for an easy way out. Yeah. Um, you're the uh, citizenship portal, right? Yes, exactly. Uh, so, I mean, but she even herself told me like, beware of women from Venezuela and Cuba because they're just looking for, uh, you know, get out of a hellhole situation they're in. But I met a lot of women on that site. I think in total, I probably got a response from 112 different women I sort of met and talked to, which is much different than the dating sites here in the United States, where I I would have to message 50 girls to get a total of five responses. And of those five responses, I'd probably get one that would actually turn out to be a date. Oh, yeah. No, you come with the uh, giant Chad penis of the green card. The what? You come with the giant Chad penis of the green card. So as far as international dating goes, particularly women from Venezuela and places like, it's you plus, right? I mean, it's not just you, David. It's you plus, you know, get me out of this hellhole, right? I'm not saying necessarily for this woman. I'm just saying in general, right? I mean, your sexual market value goes up enormously if you're dealing with third world women, right? That's true. Right. Right. I'm not trying to say you're not and, attractive. Uh, I, I can see a picture. Yeah, an attractive guy for sure. But your sexual market you. value goes up enormously if you're dealing with uh, third world women, right? Right. And it's one of the – it's just actually one of the driving factors behind um, immigration, I think, as a whole, is that in the West, as women get fatter and less pleasant, they want <laughs> they want men from other cultures come in where they have automatically – value uh, because they don't have to earn it so like the, the women so anyway all right well, yeah, so, so like, what are the same what are the same values and interests that you have that you've identified well some of the same values is we both have a, a genuine commitment towards uh, monogamy and the family as a whole um we both sort of see that the family unit is the most important thing in life the whole idea of you know, finding someone to share your life with and kind of knowing that there's going to be struggles ahead, but not just basically taking the easy way out, but basically working on your problems, talking to each other. Um, she's sexually conservative. I would say I'm very sexually conservative. I've only uh, 
been with one other woman. Well, I haven't been with uh, her yet, but um, she'd be the number number two when I'm 28 years old. So, and um, what about her? Uh, she told me three. Okay, all right. But uh, um, I would also just say that in some of the similar interests, well, I could probably go more on to say that she we have similar values in the sense that we both have a shared hatred of communism. Her more from oh, a yeah, practical I bet that's standpoint. True. Or me more from a theoretical. Well, not, and, not uh, if you've been to higher education, but, but yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing to think that like uh, I told her something about like uh, that socialism is very popular here in the United States, which she couldn't believe. And she told me like if anything have her happen, I'd leave the country. Oh, yeah. No, she would. She'd be right. Oh, but uh, in terms of similar interests, we both enjoy hiking. We both enjoy horror movies. Uh, we watch a lot of horror movies together, um, some gaming and, uh, dancing and music and food. And she's a great cook. She sends me pictures of her you know, meals all the time and brags about how she's going to feed me well. Uh, food porn for the hungry. <laughs> yeah. I mean, men are pretty simple, right? So, uh, basically I, food or sex, that's how you can motivate a man. Yeah. I, I know what you mean about like the joke that men are simple, um, I don't think that's true, but I mean, I know it's kind of like a popular joke, but anyway, um, all right. And what's her family life like? Uh, her family, um, uh, well, she had a single uh, mother. Um, she, her mother, uh, met a man when she was about 19 and she got carried away, had, you know, got married two kids later. They got divorced. She had only met him like one time. Her Wait, who'd only met him? Oh, your, your, your girlfriend. Uh, my, yes. Right. She had only met her father like one time when she was like nine years old and she didn't like him. She just like kept seeing him as the man who abandoned his family, but. Wait, but did, did the mom not divorce him? Um, I'm pretty sure that she did. Yes. So it wasn't that he abandoned his family. It's the mom divorced him. Well, yeah, because he couldn't hold down a job or whatever. She was being the you know primary breadwinner and caretaker for the family. So she married a deadbeat. Yeah. And well, she, so, but wait, does, does your does your girlfriend hold her mother at all responsible for marrying a deadbeat, or was it just while well, he was a deadbeat? No. Later on in life, she realized that she blames her mother as much as her father. Okay. She does. Right. She actually, she actually did tell me something about just like a. She has a lot of problems, like personal problems with her mother, basically because of that fact. Like she felt like she was deprived of a dad because she, her mom got like carried away when she was young. That's why she probably is such a sexually conservative person. Like she's my age. She's only had about three partners. And uh, each one of those guys were committed relationships that worked, didn't work out for a couple of reasons. Right. But she wasn't ever like, she's not the person who would sleep around in her 20s. Definitely not. And how much friction does she have with her mom that you know of? Uh, not much because, well, this is going to be a kind of a red flag, you might think. But um, like she does support her mother from afar. But her mother was committed to a mental hospital when she was just still a girl. So she was mostly raised by her grandmother. Yeah, right. How old was your girlfriend when her mom was institutionalized? 
Uh, I think she was like 11 or 12. And why was her mother institutionalized? Man, to be crazy in Venezuela, you got to be pretty fucking crazy. <laughs> right. Uh, well, she actually did have a clinical disease. She had paranoid schizophrenia. Which I know is uh, schizophrenia doesn't. I think that normally kicks in in your teens, right? Uh, for men, I think it's it comes in early in the twenties, but uh, I don't know if it kicks in for everyone the same. But maybe. Yeah. All right. Paranoid schizophrenia, and does has your girlfriend talked about how long that went on for before she was? Uh, institutionalized what her childhood was like very traumatic she'd um, accuse her and her brother of things they weren't doing uh and she'd attack them sometimes and before they actually finally her her own parents her uh, her grandparents had uh, forcibly committed their mother because she was sick she was and how long very, had that gone sick. on for before she was institutionalized i think probably about a year <laughs> Oh, okay. So she was relatively normal. And then for about a year, she kind of went crazy. And then she was institutionalized. Yeah, Is yeah. That right? That's right. And uh, even before she was institutionalized, um, um, my girlfriend tells me that she didn't have the most, the best relationship with her either. Because, uh, well, my, my girlfriend's very smart. She was always the top of her class. But if she didn't get straight A's, her mother would beat her. So... Like she had like, she got like an A minus one time. She told me a story about how she was crying in the classroom and the teacher feeling so sorry for her gave her just the A because so her mom would she was afraid her. that she got pretty much. Wow. Wow. So, and beat, beat her like with implements or? Um, implements, bare hand. Yes. So why does he, she send her mom money? Well, I know what you're thinking that like, uh, we, I've listened to enough of your shows to, you know, to know that a parenthood isn't a voluntary um, social interaction. You're forced to be with someone, but still, I think- No, childhood is-, is No, parenthood is voluntary. Childhood is not. Like to right. decide to become a parent for the most part is voluntary, but- being somebody's child is not voluntary. In other words, your girlfriend's mom chose to have her. Your girlfriend did not choose this person as a mother. Right. Sorry, I misquoted you. But um, um, basically, because family values is still a really big uh, cultural norm, I think, in Latin America, much more than I think here even. But also upon that, like, uh, if you, you know the situation in Venezuela, like the average citizens lost 20 pounds in the last year. Uh, so I've the mom might, like, starve, literally. Did the mom ever get I've, recover from the schizophrenia? No, she's, she might never. I'm from what I understand, they don't have enough medicine, but she's basically being taken care of in a home. And I've seen pictures of what her mom looked like five years ago and what she looks like now. And it is it's horrifying to see. Right. So the the home doesn't have the resources to keep her no, fed and looked, all that. So your girlfriend is sending money to the, to, to her mom directly. No, I guess not if her mom's crazy, right? But to someone who's spending the money on her mom. Yes. And then she also worries about the fact that maybe that the, the resources that she sends home to this uh, like care home and not take, they're not, they might be corrupt and exploiting her for the, her money. Oh, but they're, they're not. She feels listen, what, listen, Ken. Yeah. Like they, they are not, stuck. I guarantee you they're not spending all the mom on the money on the mom. 
Right. I agree. And I, I told her the same, but like, uh, she felt like, what else am I to do? Yeah. yeah. I can't get him out of that place. Yeah. <sighs> she felt that way. No, no other but family there who could help. She, uh, well, she had a brother, but apparently he recently moved, uh, out of the country as well to Peru. Hmm. Right. But like up until that point, he was like taking care of her. But then when he had to leave, he couldn't take her with her. So they had to commit her to a, uh, like a home. Would she want to bring her mom to the States if she marries you? That's a good question that I actually never asked because she, she doesn't will. like to talk about her. Yeah, she she doesn't have a great relationship with her mom. No, she, she will though, because <laughs> the family values, right? Right. And, and if... <laughs> If it's a package deal, then maybe it's worth it because I feel like she's everything else I'm looking for in a woman. What do you mean if it's a package deal? You mean you're going to have the paranoid, schizophrenic, old Venezuelan woman come live with you and pay all her bills? Uh, it it doesn't seem very ideal, to say the least. Wait, this woman is going to come, potentially or most likely, with a paranoid, schizophrenic Venezuelan woman and you're going to have that woman come and live in your house with you and your wife. And that's the plan? That is not the plan. If, if she had to come to the States, I would find some way to get her into some sort of home that could take, take better care of her than I could possibly take care of her. Or so the taxpayers would pay for she it? Could take. Taxpayer? Yeah, the taxpayers would pay for it. Um, I don't follow. There's plenty of private homes that can take care of her. Oh, so you would pay for yes. the schizophrenic Venezuelan woman to be in a home? As, a, as opposed to having her in my home where she could potentially harm herself where I'm not looking at her or potentially harm any kids that we might have. Yes. Oh, I'd well, first of all, these places all get government money. So the taxpayers would be on the hook for the most part, unless you want to pay a fortune. Because, I mean, there is uh, 24-hour care that's needed. There is physical rehabilitation sometimes. There is a huge amount of medication that needs to be paid for. But this is all extraordinarily expensive, right? Yes. I'm aware. I mean, my, uh, my own parents had to take care of... Uh, their their parents, my grandparents, in homes like that for a while, and it's not cheap. But how much were they You're spending? Right. Do you know? I don't know. Do you know I mean, how much you would have to spend? Money, but I don't know yet. But I mean, there's all what I know of more is just the fact that like the exchange rate from a American dollar to a Bolivar is about seven hundred Bolivars to one dollar. I don't know so, what that has to do with but, American costs. But um, what about the brother? Would, what if the uh, brother? Uh, what if the brother wants to come over too? I don't. I understand that's a possibility as well. But um, what about aunts and uncles or extended family? Because there's chain migration, right? It is. So you're kind of opening up a portal for a lot of people from Venezuela to come to America, right? Not necessarily. I didn't she say necessarily. She once about bringing her mother or her brother because she knows that she can't control her brother. And she knows that if, as long as she's sending money home to Venezuela for her mother, that she's going to be good enough with that. And if she had a job here in the United States where she could be making a minimum wage, she'd be making more than she can in Ecuador and send money, more money home. Well, but a lot of people who are on internet, a lot of women who are on international dating sites are partly there to 
bag an American for chain migration. I'm not saying this is the case necessarily with her, but that's not unknown, right? Right. I understand. And I was very selective with the women I were ta- was talking to. I mean, I could, after a while, I began to pick on the ones that I thought were obvious red flags or just trying to meet a rich American or in their idea, a rich American. Um, and the ones that I thought were actually just genuine people that I could have a, you know, shared values and share my life with. And I narrowed it down to about two or three girls out of the 112 who responded to me. And of those three, I thought she was the most genuine and most kind and most intelligent and otherwise the best partner for me. And how pretty is she? (laughs) She's very pretty. Um, I'd say objectively speaking, she's probably an eight. And where would you rank yourself? Well, I mean, I'm not in the best shape of my life right now, so I'd only probably give myself like a 6.5. But when I'm, when I'm able to, uh, stay in shape, I can be about 7.5. And why is she willing to go down two points in attractiveness? What's, what are you making up for it with? She has this strange opinion about Latino men, um, but she doesn't trust them. For for instance, the three major relationships we had were, were all with white men. And with white men from Ecuador? Sorry, from, from uh, Venezuela? Or Ecuador? Uh, no. No, 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 no. She met her. Bo- uh, she had, I think she had one boyfriend that she had met in person and then, but that was a, a very short lived thing. Um, but the only three real relationships she had were online relationships with, uh, men that she met online. Well, no, I think one of them was actually a, a, a student, but he was Italian and he actually, she was, he was the one that he actually actually met in person. Wait, so it's all men from first world countries. Yes. Why do you think that is? Um, like I said, that she has this, Really, idea that like uh, all the men in her culture are cheaters, and she does not settle for like anything less than full monogamy. But aren't there white men in Venezuela and Ecuador? Yes. So why is it white men from first world countries on an international dating site that she's after? Um, I think she was just trying to find out what was out there. I mean, she had met like a couple people online, but she thought I was the, her favorite for one. I mean, just think of this from the outside, right? Yes, I understand the questions I was inevitably going to get from everyone who knows about it. Uh, I, I mean, I you don't, you don't have talk- the right to sell out your country for this girl, right? <laughs> in a more libertarian country, I wouldn't be selling out my country. I'd no, be I, I get my- that, but it's not, it's, it's not a libertarian world, right? I know. In a libertarian a world, problem. I wouldn't have an income people tax, in but I have an income tax, values. right? <laughs> but we need people in this country who have those values, and we have less and less every day. Why did it take you a while to get the passport, do you think? Um, I've never had any much of an interest to travel. I'm no, no, I've, but the uh, girl, right? Much... Oh, right. Um, well, for the first, like, I'd say two, three months, we were just getting to know each other. We weren't really a relationship, to be fair. We're just... Well, not really a relationship back... if you've never met, right? Okay. But I mean, we it's not... Really, uh, you're not dating if you've never either. met. You can flirt through Skype or whatever, but it's not the same as a relationship, right? If you want to define it that way, I won't, but go ahead. All right. 
And what about, uh, why didn't you just send her the money to fly and see you? Uh, because it's extra, extraordinarily high for Venezuela because of the travel visa. Uh, her, a tourist visa for the United States would be $10,000. A tourist? No, but she's not in Venezuela, is she? No, but she's Venezuelan. And see, be with a Venezuelan passport, she would have to pay $10,000 just for a tourist visa. And even at that point, it'd be if she gets approved because they look into your family, they look into your property, they have to find some reason to make sure that she would return to her home country, or at least the country. Oh, yeah, of course, a lot of people from Venezuela uh, would want to come in and stay, right? Exactly. So they have to uh, be very uh, exclusive and actually look into their backgrounds to make sure people are returning to Venezuela. Right, right. So it's much cheaper for me to go to Ecuador, which is about about a $1,200 plane ticket round trip. Right, right. Now, what happened with you dating in America, dating American women? Just never worked out. I don't know why. I've always considered myself fairly attractive, maybe not uh, handsome, but at least good enough to get a suitable partner. And But in terms of my values, I think I'm just different from a lot of people. I live in a very, very left-leaning part of the country, like women here are not do not share the values that i would hope to have in a partner but why stay there then all my family's here and i do love the the geographical area i love the mountains and the ocean that's near me no but i i understand all of that but if dating is important to you it would be easier to to find someone in the united states than risk getting together with someone with a schizophrenic mom from Venezuela. And there are dating websites with conservative women like in the United States and and all of that, right? So it's something Um, more than just your neighborhood, right? Because if you're willing to do a dating site internationally, then there's something about American women as a whole that you don't like that's not, you know, you don't need a passport to go visit them, right? Okay. So um, I'm just curious fair. where, like, the whole American woman thing, like, w- w- how you ended up uh, a, a guess who song. Um, as much as it is they don't share my values, I also feel like uh, I've been excluded from the uh, dating field in the United States because, uh, like I told you earlier, on every dating site I've done, pretty I give pretty vague descriptions. I don't ever go on rants about my political or, or, or philosophical ideals. I just basically talk about my interests. I have pretty vanilla dating profiles, if that makes sense. And I still oh, would message. Okay. Okay. Would- so you're not being honest on your dating profiles in the States? No, that's not all. That's not the... I would say I would not give the full truth because no, no you said you said you made vague hurt. dating profiles, which means you're concealing yourself, no, you're hedging, right? I'm not. I'm not trying to fight with you. Like I'm just genuinely. I mean, if you're saying, if you're not being honest or, or open or clear, then you're not going to find someone who shares your values, right? If you're hedging True. with the hopes of finding someone who's going to like you, then you're going to not be attractive to anyone, right? Because if you're honest and, and open about who you are then people will either not be interested in you or be interested in you. But if you're just kind of vague and generic and so on, then you're not going to get much interest, right? 
That's true. But would you also agree that everyone's honestly who they are on a first date? Or are they on their best behavior? Would, would I agree that everyone is honest on their first date? I'm not sure what you mean. Um, do you, how much do you reveal about yourself on a first date? Do you give them the full scope of what your philosophy is? Or do you just try to have a good entertaining time for you both? Oh, no, I'm honest about who I am. Why, why the hell wouldn't I? Be? I mean, that would be crazy because then I'd just be wasting everyone's time. Because I'd then be asking for a woman to get interested in me without knowing who the hell I was. That's unfair. That's true. I mean, I, I wouldn't agree. even bother going on the first date. I'd talk about it, I guess, on a dating profile. I'd talk about it the first time we communicated. I mean, why, why would I... I want, I want to treat my beliefs like there's some weird disease that I have to hide from people. That's who I am. Who I am is a valuing of these particular things. And if people don't like that, then they can go find someone else who's not as good as me and, and settle for that. But why I would treat my beliefs as some like unwanted relative or gout that I've got to hide, <laughs> that would be, that's who I am, right? I've always been upfront with that when I go on dates. And to your credit, you buy me a lot more courageous than I am, Stefan. Well, it's not courageous. It's like, why? I don't want to waste time. Like, can you imagine you date someone and she doesn't tell you her beliefs and then she turns out to be a raging feminist socialist lunatic? You'd be pissed off at her, right? Be like, just tell me that up front. I would much rather know that on the first date. Right. So, so you've got low sexual market value because you're not standing up for what you believe. And then you go to Venezuela where you have high sexual market value because of your citizenship. But there's another way to get high sexual market value, which is to be honest about who you are and what you believe. Latina women are also more attractive to me. That's if that helps. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, Latino women are also more attractive in my mind, if that helps. But that's all physical. That's not important. Well, no, that's look. Physical attraction is not unimportant. But you know how this equation works as well as I do, David. You can get more attractive Hispanic women because, especially overseas Hispanic women, because you come with the possibility of citizenship. So because you come with the green card avenue, you can get more physically attractive women. And as far as I understand it, too, there are a couple of Latino women in the United States as well. Oh, I'm aware. <laughs> but like, I, I think it's a part of the American culture. They become corrupted very easily. So all American women are corrupted. It's not a racial thing. It's just the American culture, I feel, is leaning more and more towards the left that I can't really find someone who has strong family values Dude, at their core. Donald Trump got elected. I what are you talking about? I don't live in the rest of the country. I live. You're in willing to the go Seattle to area. Venezuela to get a date, and you can't find now. any deplorable woman in the United States. Come on, man! You're saying, well, you don't live in not Ecuador either, but now. you're dating someone from there. <laughs> um, I don't live in Donald Trump's America. I live in. Well, Seattle, I live in the leftist. Okay, dude, dude, are you not listening to what I'm saying? Because it's getting kind of annoying now, right? You okay, keep sorry. saying there aren't women right in front of me who I can date. But that woman in Venezuela or that woman in Ecuador, yeah, I can date her. You okay. understand well, that makes no logical sense at all. Um, no, I disagree with that, actually, Stefan, because there's always logically a better person out there for you than the person you might be with. So should you just never settle for a person? There's always logically someone better out there than you the believe person that you're with. I don't, I don't understand your... how that makes sense, any sense at all. Okay. 
Okay, let me uh, rephrase that then. Um, no, you could be right. I just so I don't. You don't believe in the idea of a one. Right? There's no one better for me than my wife. Person for you. If you don't believe there's a person, a one person out there for you. Well, there's no one better for me than my wife. And it's partly because we're very compatible. And it's also partly because we've been together for 16 or 17 years and we've raised a child together and we've battled an illness together and we've grown together and we trust. Like there's no one better because I start from scratch. Why the hell would I want to start from scratch with someone when they've already grown together with a tree already for close to two decades? There's no one better out there for me than her because I won't have that shared history with someone. Okay. Maybe I'm not making my point clear and I'll I'll try to like go – I mean, uh, I'm not talking about you as a husband. I'm talking about you in the dating world before you had met your wife. Would you have said that when you met your wife that she knew she was the one? Because I don't believe think you believe in the idea of a one. I think you believe that she had similar values to you, that you found her attractive. You probably had similar interests and you found yourself compatible. I wanted to but marry her and no I wasn't interested in, in anyone else and I haven't with? been since. So I don't know what you mean by the one, but that was my, my experience. No, I'm saying like, a, okay, do you believe that there's idea of a soulmate out there in the world for you? I, I don't know why we're talking about this, to be honest with you. I'm just because telling you, I don't know. About- I, I mean, I don't know what to, the label to put on. I met my wife. I fell in love with her very quickly. I've stayed in love with her for almost 20 years and I've never wanted an upgrade. So I don't know what right, you exactly. call that. I agree. That's not, you're not understanding what I'm saying though, Stefan. I'm saying like, you keep talking about why should I have to be with this girl from Ecuador when I can just find someone around me. It doesn't matter about the other people around me. Oh, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. So, okay, that's why we're talking about this crap. That's not what I'm saying. So, I say, why don't you find an American girl? And you say, there aren't any in my immediate vicinity, right? Okay, that was incorrect. What? I agree. No, that's what you said. You said, I live in Seattle and and it's so leftist, right? Yes. Okay. So, my point, logically is that if you're willing to go to Ecuador to get a girlfriend, then the fact that there's not a girl in your immediate vicinity is irrelevant. Yes, I agree. Good. So then why don't you find a girl who's not got a schizophrenic mom who's from Ecuador, who you have to pay for her schizophrenic mom for the next 30 years? You're really harboring in on the schizophrenic mom point, and I can't argue against that. Well, because don't your kids want those resources? How much money? Okay, let me ask you this. What do you do for a living? In general. I'm an electrician. I'm an electrician. Electrician. Okay. So you're not going to be super rich. You're going to do well, right? Solid middle class, right? So is it fair to your kids that you're going to pay for the schizophrenic mom? Is it fair to my kids that I'm going to pay for their grandmother? No. But, um, you believe, okay. I don't have a good counter to that because I don't really want to talk about the schizophrenic mom. You want to harbor in on the third world immigration thing. We can talk about that, but I can't, I'll concede the schizophrenic mom point, but I figure like you can give $1 for every 700 Bolivars in Venezuela. It's almost incomparable how much we're giving, how much. Did you know what's going to happen in her extended family when she gets married to you? Do you have any idea what's going to happen? It's possible. It's not possible. It's inevitable. Oh, it's not. Oh, it is. Oh, oh it is. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> it is. Do you well, think that people a, are going to say, a, well, sort of I am starving half to death in Venezuela, but I don't really want to exploit my niece or cousin or really whatever it's going to be, right? 
Okay. They're already basically exploiting her from Ecuador. Right. But then she can get them into the United States, right? With my the average immigrant yeah. in some countries bring half a dozen to 10 family members with them. Do you think that's not going to that happen? Right? I didn't know that. Well, is that all legal immigration or is that? Well, yeah, it's all chain migration, right? But is it, are we talking about, because if you're talking about legal immigration, are the legal immigrants bringing their families over or are we talking about illegal immigration? No, no, legal. They come, oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Well, that's why I'm telling you. <laughs> that's why I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're great for me. Thank you. Well, no, I, I, I appreciate the, the back and forth. So if mm -hmm. you can, like if you want to find a woman who's got similar values, then you can find a woman in the United States. Now, the reason why you want, or a woman in Canada or who's, you know, whatever, right? I mean, but the reason why you want that, David, is that you don't want to ever think that someone's into you in part because of your citizenship. And you also don't want to get into a situation where even if your Venezuelan wife doesn't want the family to come, as you said, she's still sending money to her mom. The family values are very strong, which means that they're going to be able to push her buttons and they're all going to come swarming over and they're going to come live with you. And you're going to have to sign and you're going to have to support and you're going to get buried, man. Buried. Buried. It's, once again, I just say it's a possibility, but I think you're making some generalizations that what if let, let's uh, let's throw out the idea that chain migration like because we're talking about her as an individual now, not as an immigrant. No, but she is an immigrant and she the family has access to chain migration. She's on an international dating website, and she's only ever date, dated first world white guys. And she's very pretty. Do you not think the family might be using her as a ticket? I'm not saying she'd even be responsible, but do you not think they're like, oh, yeah, you got to go date these white boys. They're very nice, much better than Latino men. You go marry in America, then boom, 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 boom. She may be relatively innocent to the whole situation. I'm not trying to throw her under the bus. I'm just saying that if... It's something Muhammad Ali said years and years ago, which is interesting. He said, after he was rich and famous, he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put on a pair of old jeans. I'm going to get a beat up suitcase and a t-shirt. I'm going to walk down the street. I'm going to just get a room in a town somewhere. And then I'm going to end up dating some girl who has no idea who I am. And I'm going to marry that girl because everybody's into me for my fame and my money. You don't want to get into a relationship if at all possible, you don't want to get into a relationship where it's a me plus. You know, I'm glad I met my wife before I became well-known. Because you don't want to be right. someone's me plus. Now, you come with citizenship and the salvation, the literal salvation of her family. If you think that's not part of her calculation, you don't understand women at all. You don't understand people at all. Of course, it's part of her calculation. I'm not saying it's the only reason. I'm not saying you're not an attractive guy. But if you get someone, you can get a nice hot Latino woman from the United States who's got citizenship, who speaks English, and then you know what? She's into you for you. There can't be anything else. Because if you get married to this woman 
And of course, people are going to try and use her to get out of Venezuela. You would, I would, every damn sane human being on the planet would. It's going to happen, man. Come on. Of course it is. The country's falling apart and you're the life raft. Of course, they're going to try and get on. There's no possibility that they won't try. And there's virtually no possibility that you'll be able to stop it. Because they're going to put pressure on your wife. Your wife is then going to put pressure on you. And if you say no, they're going to torture her. She's going to torture you. And it's going to be a horrible place to be. Because they're desperate. And look, I sympathize. I I really do. Which is why I've spoken out against socialism my entire life. Which is why you do too, right? Because this is what happens. But, you know, this is what happens when people vote for socialism. I'm really sorry that that's what happens, but it's not my fault. In fact, I've... My conscience is is clear. But if you get your hot Latina bride, if you want a Latina woman, you get your hot Latina bride without dangling citizenship in front of her and an entire extended starving family, you know she's just in it for you. And that's a healthy start to a relationship. There's too much of an imbalance of power in this relationship. Because... She and her entire family is desperate to get to the United States, and you can give that to them. That's not an equal start to the relationship. And what it means is that she can't be herself because she's too much in a position of need. She can't be herself. She can't challenge you. She can't disagree with you. She can't risk pissing you off. And that means you're not getting a clear view of who she actually is. Whereas if you date someone from America, you are getting a clear view of who they actually are because they're not in a situation of desperate need. You know what? It's like if you're a drug dealer and some broke druggie comes to your house, he's not going to disagree with anything you say. He's going to laugh really hard at all of your jokes because he just wants you to give him some drugs. And he doesn't have the money to pay for it. And you can say, no, no, no. He's just, he's here for me. He's here because he likes my company. It's like he's in a situation of desperate need. He can't be there just for your company. He can't be. And it can't be an honest and equal relationship. Now, you can find women who are into family in the United States. There are a lot of them. I've talked to them on this show I've met them at conferences. I've met them in my personal life. Massive, you know, tens and tens and tens of millions of people. A lot of them women voted for Donald Trump. It's not the only standard, but, you know, it's not a bad one to start. There are tens of millions of women in the United States who will be into you and will share values and are not in a situation of desperate need. But this woman, you've never met her. She was raised by an insane single mother. Now, you say, it's an illness. Okay, so maybe there's some genetic links to schizophrenia. Well, sorry, man, that's the gene pool that you might be marrying into. Like, that's just a red flag. I'm just telling you. Her mother beat her. She's not had a successful relationship. How old is she? Uh, She's my age. She's 28. Right. So she's 28 years old. She's not had a successful relationship. How long is it going to take for her to get in the country and for you guys to get married and for you guys to figure out if you're compatible and for you guys to figure out what's going on in your life and for her to get a career and get settled and get sorted and this and that and the other? Who knows? 
Could be years. In which case, you're starting a family with lots of pressure from relatives to come across and chain migration and stay with you. You're starting a family with a woman who's in her early to mid-30s. Fertility window declining enormously. You're an attractive guy who's got a good income and a good career and a good profession. You want to aim for a woman who's a little bit younger than you, who is... Well, not in actually, a situation where she desperately needs you for something that you didn't earn, which is a gateway to the U.S. And when you well, go I down there, see, you've oh. had this long distance thing and she's showing you pictures of food <laughs> and you're going to fly down there and it's going to have nothing to do with the real world, nothing to do with real life. Because you're going to be down there and it's going to be a vacation. She's going to take time off work. You're not going to have to deal with any family. She's going to be obviously on her best behavior, as you are as well. But there's nothing real in it. I've been in long-distance relationships, man. They're completely surreal. Now, this is back before, like, when you had to pay, like, 10 bucks an hour after 11 o'clock at night to speak on the phone or whatever, right? But <laughs> yeah, it's a different world, but it's still the same kind of deal, which is you're apart which is kind of everything's on hold. You can't, because there's no real life. You don't have to sit there and do taxes. You don't have to pay bills. You don't have to nurse each other when you're sick. There's nothing real about it. There's no extended family. There's no complex of problems. And then what happens is you get together and you go on vacation and you screw like rabbits and you have a great deal of fun and you, you don't have to deal with anything real. Again, there's no bills. You go out for dinner a lot. There's nothing real. It's a fantasy. And there's nothing wrong with that fantasy. I, I like going on vacation, but it's nothing real. And that's the problem with long distance relationships is there's nothing real. And if she's not talking about, here's my big red flag for me, David, it's not the schizophrenic mom. It's not like the fact that she was beaten and, or anything. I don't, I assume she hasn't gone to therapy or dealt with that in any fundamental way. That's not the Latino way in general. But she said, oh, you got to watch out for these girls who just want you for your citizenship, right? And now, of course, she's differentiating herself from that. And that's fine, I guess. But if she hasn't talked about, listen, if we get together and we get married, my family is going to be pounding on the door to try and get through. We need to talk about that. Now, why hasn't she brought that up? Everybody knows that's what's going to happen. But why hasn't she talked about it? Well, she doesn't have a large family. She's got her mother, her brother. Her brother runs his own business in Peru. He's pretty financially secure and he, li he doesn't speak English. So I don't know if he'd really want to move to the United States. As for oh, by the way, you don't have to speak English to succeed in the United States anymore. Just look at <laughs> California and most okay. of Texas. That's true. Uh, but uh, anyways, he seems like he's pretty content with where he's at in, in uh, Peru. Uh, as for the rest of her extended family, I know she's got um, two younger cousins. They're both children, but she doesn't like the parents, the aunt, her aunt, because she could tell that like they were exploiting her. And so she doesn't really, she sort of cut them off out of her life. Exploiting uh, so her now for what, for really, money? So now she's really just supporting, she does still talk with her younger cousins. She loves them, but um, she taught them English. So, uh, but uh, she only is really supporting her mother. So the idea of extended chain migration, she's going to bring 10, 15 family members over. It's, it's a possibility. I just don't see it happening because she doesn't have a large extended family and her only dependent is her mother. And that's not too different from what you might find in America. And I know you can say you can go out there, you find people, but how many families don't have at least one elderly dependent to worry about? You mean how many families 
have children raised by an insane schizophrenic paranoid single mother who beat her and then ended up institutionalized when she was 11 to 12. I'm going to put that down in the pretty damn rare column. I'm not talking about her illness. And to that, I, I, I can't, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I can't really defend it. But at the same time, I'm just talking about d- just a dependent, an elderly dependent they have to take care of. Well, it's, dude, I you're t- 28. If you marry a 25-year-old, she's probably not going to have an elderly dependent to take care no, of. But I, well, I should probably, my last girlfriend that I was with before, I just sort of gave up on American women. Uh like we, uh, I felt like she w- could have been the one, well, I don't like believe the one, but like we had a lot of fun together. She was very attractive and she was younger and she looked, she, but when we broke up, she told me there was almost nothing that she could find fault with me. She just didn't want a relationship. She was sort of filled with feminist dogma that she shouldn't ever want a husband. So you dated so, a feminist? No, she did not preach any feminist goals she just had this idea where like in her 20s she should be dating around a lot oh so you dated a woman who didn't want to settle down and then you got mad that she didn't want to settle down uh not mad just very sort of uh no but you were upset that she didn't want to settle down you're complaining about her so a woman tells you i don't want to settle down did you think she was lying to you no, I just thought that she was filled with feminist propaganda that like she shouldn't. I thought that she shouldn't. Uh, she believed that she. So shouldn't you're want. really bad at reading the intentions of women, right, David? But you've totally got the Ecuadorian girl figured out. You were. Terrible at reading the intentions of a woman you were dating who was right there in front of you. How long did you go out with her, David? Oh, sorry. I think I lost you for a second. Uh, How long did you go out with the woman who didn't want to settle down? Only about two or three months. And she was right there in front of you, right? Wasn't long distance. No. I knew her from work. I just had met her on a job. Now, how long did you date her before you found out that she didn't want to settle down? right before we broke up i suppose so you dated for a couple of months and you never figured out whether she was interested in settling down until the very end uh i knew beforehand i just thought that like uh this wait this is gonna so when did no because you told me that she you only found out right before she broke up and then you said you know beforehand so when did you find out she didn't want to settle down i knew pretty much right after i started dating her that she wasn't into the idea of settling down and how did you know that uh, I had known about her past relationship. She told me about how she had talked about, I didn't want anything serious. And basically just based on that, I gathered that she still wasn't into the idea of a serious relationship, but I just thought she was lying to herself in the sense, because when she broke up with the guy, she was heartbroken and she knew even then she didn't want a serious relationship. I thought I could try to convince her that you're basically lying to yourself. if You don't think you want to find a potential husband. But I was wrong. Wait, I was so just hang on. Objective. So if she was telling the truth, yes, then you have nothing to complain about because, You're, right, she says, I'm not going to get, I don't want to settle down. And then she ends up not settling down. But if you're dating oh, a yeah, woman who you think is lying to yourself about foundational values, what the hell does that say about you? 
Uh, sorry, what'd you say? If you date a woman who's lying to herself about foundational values like settling down, what does that say about you? Like, why would you date someone who either is telling the truth about not settling down or is lying to herself completely? Either one of those are huge red flags, right? Mm-hmm. So the point I made earlier, which I think you lost because of internet or something, was that you're terrible at figuring out women's motivations. As you talked about with this woman who you broke up with after dating for a couple of months, you're terrible at figuring out women's motivations, but you've totally got the woman in Ecuador sorted out and figured out. I tend to believe American women haven't got themselves sorted out. No, no. She was honest with you, David. She said she didn't want to settle down. And she was unhappy that her last relationship broke up the way it did. Right. So, I thought she, so she doesn't know how to settle down or doesn't want to settle down. So I'm not sure why you're blaming American women for you not listening to the woman you're dating. Um, yeah, well, what I'm trying to say is I'm going to just slow down a bit because I just want to make my point clear about this. So I felt maybe I'm white knighting a bit in the sense that I, I feel like I know women. Some people might say I don't know women at all, but I feel like I know them plenty because women are getting unhappier and unhappier, correct? Well, not all women. Not all women, but let's just talk about the average woman. A lot of women are getting unhappy in America. That's right. Yes. And so that's because we can both agree that they're sort of adopting this feminist propaganda that tells them they don't want children, they don't want husbands, that they should be working 24-7 and having promiscuous sex. Correct? Uh, let's, I wouldn't go that extreme, but I think the general, I can agree with the general trend. So when I come across a person who was unhappy her last relationship ended the way it did. And she's telling me, oh, I don't want to settle down. I just want to date casually in their my 20s. I kind of just kicked into like, I'm projecting maybe, but I'm, I feel like I'm looking into her. I feel like she's lying to herself. Right. So you didn't listen to her. You thought you knew better. And it turns out you didn't. Correct. Right. But I, I, for once, I never complained or blamed her. I, I basically let it go. I didn't get mad. We had a pretty amicable breakup because we weren't really together. It was like two, three months. It's hardly a relationship. But at the same time, I just sort of wait. Wasn't this, the, wasn't this the woman though who ended up with you not dating American women? Are you saying you didn't get mad? Right. Because it was sort of the last straw. Like that's how it basically had gone. I keep meeting women who tell me they don't want a boyfriend. They don't want a husband. They don't want children. Right. So why do you and date it's hard. them? <laughs> because I'm bad at making decisions, apparently. <laughs> you're, bad, you're bad at judging the intentions of women. And this is why I'm warning you about the Venezuelan woman. Because you're but not good at problem. reading women. They tell you exactly what they want and you think you know better and you turn out that you're wrong. But this woman is telling me what she wants and it's the same things I want. Right. But you're bad you're at judging women's intentions. Uh, no, I'm not bad at judging. I don't listen apparently because they tell me directly what they want. And I just think that I know better than them. But this one, this woman from Venezuela is telling me what she wants. And it's the same thing that. Yes, but you don't, but you don't know what she's not telling you she wants, which is the citizenship has something to do with it, man. Come on. Are you telling me it has nothing to do with it at all? Well, see, now you're just going back. We're talk- so earlier you talked about how not her as an individual, but the idea of immigration. She's dating Americans for a screen card. But now we're talking about her individually. I don't understand. Do you think that a very attractive woman who is targeting and is only dating white Americans, men, 
Do you think that well, the citizenship the has no impact on her decision making at all? I don't think it does because one of her previous relationships was an Italian guy and he was very successful financially and she could have been with him, but because he was not compatible with her, he broke, she broke up with him. He was a nuclear engineer and very successful. Okay. And so the, the fact that he's an Italian still means that he's a white first world guy, right? True. true. So but whether he's the, American or Italian is not the primary him. question. Okay, but she had a chance to be with someone who was very financially well off and she could have got citizenship from him. She chose not to be with him because she didn't find him compatible with her values. He was more into high dining, showing off your status. She's a much more simple girl. Her her favorite thing to do on a Friday, Saturday night, her like treat for the month is to go to KFC and that's like her big treat. So she told you that... She broke up with the rich guy so that she could basically end up being with you. Not to be with me, no. She just basically decided that she just she was okay with being alone. She wanted to find someone with similar values. It's not like she was dating both of us at the same time and chose me. She just was with the guy, realized that she wasn't in love with him because they didn't share the same ideas of what they wanted out of life. So she decided to end it. And he kept but, trying to reach okay, out Okay, but her. similar values. Yeah. Are there no men in Ecuador who have similar values or men from Venezuela who are now in Ecuador who have – wouldn't they have much more similar values than a white guy from Seattle? You'd think so. But uh, apparently not because like I told you, she has this – and I think it might be a little crazy, but she thinks that – she has not had good experience with Latino men. She thinks that they're all cheaters, that they all, all of her Latino friends brag about how they cheat on their girlfriends. And she felt like that. She couldn't deal with that. Wait, all of her male friends are cheaters? She, yeah, she said that they would all brag about how they would cheat on her girlfriends. Wait, and her do best you think friend. that all Latino men cheat or do you think that no, no, not at all. you're, okay, so why does your girlfriend only know cheating men? <laughs> I don't know. That's that's one of the big That's another red flag right there. Why is that a red flag? Because you, a man is known and a woman is known by the company they keep. Why is she hanging around and friends with guys who cheat on their girlfriends? Don't women mostly hang out with the boyfriends of their friends? The okay. Friends of Why is she hanging out with men who cheat on their girlfriends and who brag about it? Wouldn't that be a good reason to not be friends with someone if they cheat on their girlfriend? I don't know. Actually, I never asked her why she was friends with them to begin with. That's a good question, actually. No, because you see, she's really into high values and high standards, right? And she's really I'm into more, family I, and she's really into commitment, right? Yes. So then why is she friends with guys who cheat? Well, she doesn't stay friends with them is the thing, but she's had friends in the past. She, she is said, a good judge. Of she kids. said all of her guy friends, this is why she doesn't trust Latino men, because all of her guy friends brag about cheating. Yes. So then why is she friends with guys who cheat? She doesn't stay friends with them, Stefan. But she, then the next guy, all of her friends, you said. So then the next guy is also a cheater. I don't think, I don't understand it either. I, oh, I, I can I, tell I you honestly, why. She, I can tell okay. you exactly why, David. And this is why this woman is dangerous for you. Because she needs to tell, <laughs> she needs to have a reason why She's going for you rather than she's, oh, well, it's, you know, shared values, shared values, shared values. 
Well, shared values would be somebody from her neck of the woods, somebody who grew up in her culture, somebody who speaks her language. I assume you don't speak Spanish. Is that fair to say? I speak it okay, but we mostly speak English. Right. So somebody who grew up in her cultural history with her uh, religious uh, history. Are you both Catholics? Is that fair to say? No, that's another difference we have. She is Catholic. I'm, well, semi-non-religious, but I would say Christian. Are you an agnostic? Um, more so than not. I subscribe to more like Jordan Peterson's overall philosophy about religion. And is she, she's a Catholic. Yeah, but she's not very – actually, that's one of the funnier things I found out about Latin America. In, in Latin America – in America, non-religious means basically atheist. In Latin America, non-religious means you don't go to church five times a week. So she's a Catholic. She's Catholic. So if you're into shared values, how is she going to – what compatibilities does she have with an agnostic? Well, I'm, I describe myself as a hopeful agnostic, if anything. You're not a Catholic. No, I'm not Catholic. And you're not going to be a Catholic. No. Agnostics rarely become Catholics, right? No, but she's also very, not very religious herself. She does think, pray to, uh, to God every day and thank God for a lot of stuff, but she doesn't go to church ever. She doesn't, um, subscribe to, uh, she's not quoting gospel. Um, so she's not Catholic. Because if you're Catholic, you got to go like, to church, right? She's a she's a first world Catholic in the sense that they say they're Catholic so they can do anything they want and ask for forgiveness later. <laughs> Did you really just say that about a woman you claim to care about? <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> once again, um, she's not very religious, but she does come from a Catholic tradition. So I don't know if that helps at all. Um, well, I think it's clear to everyone but you. So the reason why she has to say that she doesn't trust Latina men is because she has to explain why she's going for you rather than some guy who's local, because she has to say it's about shared values. Now, she would share more values with a Latina man than with, you know, white David agnostic from Seattle, right? And so then she has to explain why she's going for you rather than some local man. And then she has to say, well, I don't trust Latina men because they all cheat. So then that's the explanation as to why she's going for you. But then that, of course, begs the question, why are you only friends with Latina men who cheat? Are you saying that all Latina men cheat? Or are you saying that only your male friends cheat? In which case, where's your judgment? Because if she's around cheaters, it means she's a very bad judge of men. And if she's a bad judge of men, then why would she want to go for white agnostic David from Seattle rather than some local man? Well, because David from Seattle comes with American citizenship. I I feel like that's sort of a I don't mean to step on your toes a bit, but I feel that's a gross oversimplification because it's not like an I argument. Said, what you're saying she, is not an argument. Gross oversimplification is not an argument. You can rebut where I've made a mistake, and I'm welcome. I'm happy I, to I hear. I will it. make a rebut. I will, but you got to let me talk. I'd be, I'm sorry. I don't want no, but don't stop by insulting my position. Just make the argument. Okay, I already said that she's non-religious from a Catholic tradition, basically like a first world Catholic. I don't know many Catholics. I know plenty of Catholics. None of them are practicing. Uh, so that's similar values to me already. Um, and also about her Latino friends who cheated on all their girlfriends, she doesn't stay friends with them. When she finds out they cheat, she leaves. Yes, and so, we already went through this and that she finds then a new man who also cheats on his girlfriends. Well, to be fair, she's friends with her friend, uh, female friends who are dating these guys. 
Right. So she's friends with women who date cheaters and she's friends with the males who cheat. Yes. Are you saying that rescues her reputation, that she's also friends with women who allow themselves to be cheated on and who choose men who cheat on them? It could that she has, I don't want to use low self-esteem as a, because I don't fully subscribe to that, but that could be part of it. Look, it's clear, David, that you're going to go fly to Venezuela and you're going to have sex with this girl. You're going to bond with her and you're going to try and work something out. I mean, there's nothing I can say that's going to change that, right? You're not thinking with your head at the moment. No, I'm thinking with my head, Stefan. No, you're not. uh, No, you're not. No. Listen, you got to listen to this back. The beta defensiveness in what you're talking about would be a turnoff for any high quality woman. I'm just telling you that right now, which means she's not a high quality woman because she's attractive to you, even though you are manipulative and defensive and uh, are, are thinking that you're thinking when you're not. And so she's not a high quality woman. And you've also insulted her in a number of different ways that you'll hear back like that, oh, she's just a Catholic, so she can do whatever she wants and then get forgiveness. And, oh, she has low self-esteem maybe and blah, 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 right? So she's not a high-quality woman. So the question is, if she's not a high-quality woman, what are you interested in her for? Well, you're interested in her because she's very pretty. And she's interested in you because you have citizenship. And you're going to sell out your country and the taxpayers and the debt and all of that to get your piece of ass. And this is the way things are going to go. I mean, I've made a good shot at it, and I'm not going to go any further because obviously you're not in a listening frame of mind. It doesn't mean I'm right. I'm just telling you that uh, we're having the same conversations over and over again. So, yeah, I mean, if you want to fly out and see her, you can go fly out and see her. And um, she's going to uh, she's going to bomb you with the vagina and you're going to bond and you're going to get all head spun and you're going to go into the six month days, which you're probably in already, which is the romantic haze where you get bombed with dopamine and you get this whole bonding shit that goes on. And then she's going to use that to get into the States. And then you're going to get buried under relatives and the taxpayers are going to have to bear the burden because you're not willing to look for a woman that you can get without dangling citizenship in front of her. That's just a fact, as far as I see it. But I do appreciate the call. I'm going to close things off there. I want to thank everyone so much for the opportunity to chat with you about these essential, wonderful, deep, and complex topics. I appreciate everyone who calls in. And please don't forget to support your friendly neighborhood philosopher at freedomainradio.com slash donate. That's freedomainradio.com slash donate. If you've got some shopping to do, you can go to fdrurl.com slash Amazon. You can follow me on Twitter at Stefan Molyneux. You can sign up for the mailing list at freedomainradio.com. And last but not least, The Art of the Argument. Still a great book. Will be for all time, in my humble opinion. But at theartoftheargument.com to check out that book. You can, of course, also find it on Audible. But theartoftheargument.com is the place to start. So thanks, Emil, everyone. Love you guys so much. Have a great, great day. We'll talk to you soon.